Love's world in sports. Be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right? Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Que pasa, mi amigos? Shalom. Wassalam alaikum. 
What's going on? What's happening? What is going down on the world of sports in the world of sports today? That's what I'm here to talk about. So glad that you could be with us. Thought it was very apropos to start the podcast with a special rendition of the Star Spangled Banner by the fabulous, by the great, by the legendary Marvin Gaye. Um, I guess very quickly on the elections here in this country, still a little bit disappointed. No, still a really a lot disappointed. I'm glad that the right person won, but the fact that 70 million people, over 70 million people, could vote for someone like the person that we currently have in the White House for another, what, 70-something days, depending upon when you're listening to this podcast, the fact that that motherfucker is still the person that's going to be representing this country, I guess, really shows that at the heart of this country, the foundation of this country is based upon racism, is based upon bigotry, is based upon selfishness, is based upon ignorance. If you really take a look at it, the fact that, again, over 70 million people voted for that motherfucker and the fact that while it's never, it's not going to take place, but the fact there's people talking about voter suppression and voter fraud and all this kind of nonsense just just shows you how ignorant uh, certain sections of this country really is. But um, we're going to move forward. And I guess for me, moving forward also is the fact that I'm just going to have to, again, I'm not saying I'm giving up. But I'm even coming more to the realization that as long as I'm going to be living on this planet, if I live another 25, 30 years, 35 tops, I don't know, man, whenever the Lord takes me, that's when I'm going, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just putting all of my faith, hopefully, in the young people of this country, these the young people in their 20s, the young people in their teens, the young people that I um, substitute teach here in Clark County and, and beyond. I'm, I'm putting my faith and hope and prayers into that generation, into those generations, that they can move the needle, that they can move this country along in the right direction. I, I've said this many times, and it was clear as day, November 3rd, November 4th, November 5th, when we keep saw, when we saw the election, when we saw the results, when we saw the aftermaths, when we saw everything that went down afterwards, that I guess you're probably over the age of, I would say, 35, 36. There's no hope for you. You're probably baked into your thoughts and feelings and your selfishness and what direction the country is going. So for me to try to talk about unity and true harmony and letting those who have been oppressed, those who have been discriminated against, those who have uh, had a history in their community, of discrimination and racism and bigotry and oppression that let us define what those things are to you so you can learn what they are so we can have a harmonious uh, relationship moving forward for those 35, 36, 37, maybe early 30s. I'm just not going to waste my time anymore. If you get it, you get it. But for the most part, you don't. So as long as you're not burning a cross on my lawn, as long as you're not defacing my property, as long as you're not trying to put my life in danger, as long as you're not doing those type of things, you know what, man, fuck it. Have your opinions, have your thoughts, have your own definition of what racism is, define what you think true true quality, equality is, and all those type of things. I don't give a fuck. I'm tired. If you want to just go ahead with your white privilege, go ahead with your white privilege. If you want to go ahead with your male white privilege, go ahead with your male white privilege. If you want to go ahead with your male privilege, then go ahead and do that. 55% of the white women who were stupid enough to vote for this motherfucker in the office, hey, man, y'all go ahead. Knock yourself out. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Fabulous. For the 18% of black males who were stupid enough 
to vote for that motherfucker, have at it, man. Fabulous. Wonderful. Congratulations. 48% of black women who were stupid enough to vote for this guy, hey, man, congratulations. Go for it. Do your thing. Whatever. As long as, again, leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. As long as you're not trying to throw obstacles in front of me to reach my goals, to reach my dreams, to reach what I need to do to keep a roof over my head and to keep my mental going well, then you know what, man, have at it. I don't give a fuck. But moving forward, I'm going to see what we can do with the young folks and see what they can do to uh, move this bad boy forward. I always feel, especially with me being a substitute teacher, and that means I'm going to be in the presence of minors. I'm going to be in the presence of those who ultimately, if I live long enough, are going to be the ones who are going to be taking care of me. They're going to be taking care of you. They're going to be taking care of my generation. They're going to be taking care of the generation before me. They're going to be the world leaders. They're going to have the responsibilities of dealing with climate change. They're the ones that are going to have the responsibilities of dealing with peace in the Middle East and world peace and all of these other things that I believe my generation and others have failed miserably at. So, I feel that my job, especially as I mentioned before, being a substitute in Clark County, when I go out to these rural areas, and I know that in the rural areas where I'm going to be substitute teaching, I know that I'm going to be dealing with uh, folks who have no clue about what it is in terms of dealing, in terms of working with, in terms of the uh, black community, in terms of the brown community, in terms of some of the lower tier communities within uh, minorities. So my goal, so my job, so my responsibility is to go to these schools and let these kids see a black man who is intelligent, a black man who is articulate, a black man who is strong, a black man who goes against the certain stereotypes that these kids see on television to let these kids know that, hey, you know what, man, Mr. Wallace is, uh, you know, he's not like the people that we see and the people that we think when we think about black folks. They're not the uh, jackasses that uh, Fox News tries to bring out, or they're not the type of people that you see when, uh, you know, they throw the stereotype out there. His jeans ain't sagging. He don't, he don't have tattoos. He don't have cornrows. I mean, he ain't speaking. He speaks with intelligence. He speaks with articulation. He carries himself well. I mean, I want to let these kids know that there's more of us. There's more of people who look like us, who look like me. There's more people in my community who speak like me. There's more people in my community with the intelligent level of me. There's more people in my community who have the overall intelligence and the articulations and the world and all those type of things that look and sound like me than they do when you're taking a look at other examples of how we're portrayed in the medium media that's all i'm trying to do there's a there's a little bit there's a a little bit more diversity and that's what i try to do when i go up to these small communities in um, northern clark county as we head up toward the uh utah utah border because you know you go up i-15 the farther north you go on i-15 the wider it gets when you're speaking about hispanics when you're speaking about asians when you're speaking about blacks when you're speaking about a diverse group when you leave that last exit on the in the in in Las Vegas and you start heading on out and you start heading to Moapa Valley and you start heading out to Mesquite and you start heading out to Littlefield and you start heading out to uh St. George and you start heading out to Hurricane and you start heading out to Washington, Utah, and you start heading out to Salt Lake City and you keep on going forward and you start heading out to Wendover and you start heading out to uh Idaho and you keep heading on to fifteen and I don't know if it reaches 
the um, Canadian border. But as I mentioned before, you leave Las Vegas, that's it. I mean, if the 15 starts, I don't know, where did the 15? The 15 starts somewhere near L.A., which is a pretty diverse area. The farther you start moving north, north, the less diverse it gets. And when you leave the... When you leave the area of Las Vegas, say goodbye to diversity. So these kids who live 60 miles away from the city, 85 miles away from the city, who still are part of the Clark County School District, but they only go down to they only go down to these places when they're going to be going to uh, in their sporting events or whatever, and they're going to be participating with other schools in Clark County. But for the most part, they're isolated. They're situated in their communities. It's my job, it's my, it's my responsibility, I feel, to my community to let these kids know that, uh, you know, there's a, uh, that, that the, the black folks from, from my community, from my side of the tracks, it's a large swath. There's a large uh, diversity of how we act, of how we carry ourselves, how we speak, how we're spoken to, and all those type of things. So, I don't know, man, that's what I took from the election. So I've been going up to uh, Mawapa. I've been going up to Mesquite for over 10 years, substitute teaching. I went used to go down to Laughlin, Nevada, which is right near the uh, Arizona border. And I was going to those places. I've been going to those places for over 10 years. And sometimes I'll even run into some students who uh, I substitute taught for 8, 9, 10, 12 years ago, and they still know who I am. And so... Doing those type of things, it just reminds me. And a lot of these kids aren't going to be leaving the area. Or a lot of those kids, for instance, if you're speaking about Mawapa Valley or you speak about Mesquite, they're going north for college. Or they're going north to get a job. Or they're just going to be around They're just going to be around town and just get a job there. And just either work at the casino or work at the gas station or work locally. Maybe work at the restaurants. Maybe work at the uh, local hospitals. Who knows? But for the most part, the chances of those kids heading down to a diverse community, heading down to a diverse city or community like uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, which is a big town, or maybe even a little bit farther south and go to a real diverse, huge city in Los Angeles where they can get the true flavor of different races, faces, and cultures and such. I know that's not going to happen. So if they're going to be sticking around that area or they're going to be heading up to St. George or they're going to be relocating to a area where the diversity and everything is about the same as where they're coming from, I feel it's my duty to uh, let them know that, hey, you know what? You can call me an anomaly. You can call me something that's not the norm. But I just want to let them know that uh, there's more to black folks than cornrows, tattoos, uh, saggy jeans, broken English, and all those type of things. So that's my contribution, and that's what I try to do for the community. My age, the place where I'm in right now, my mindset right now, that's exactly where I'm at. If I can change 5%, 2%, 1%, 0.5%, then hey, you know what? It's better than no percent. Wendell's World of Sports, who knows, man? I might change somebody's view from Moapo or Glendale or um, Mesquite. Or I might change one of their views and they might go ahead and, I don't know, become the next, you know, great person who moves down to Chicago and helps the, um, and helps 
the relationship between the police and the communities. I don't know, man. Who knows? I have no idea. Who would have thought Barack Obama, when he was young, would become a, would become a president? So who knows, man? I'm just you, you never know. You never know. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So thank goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that um, Joe Biden is the president. Let's see what we can do to uh, move forward and uh, put the stupidity, the arrogance, the narcissistic piece of shit, the racist piece of shit that's currently right now. Let's just neuter him as much as we can and get that motherfucker out of there. ASAP when January 21st comes of 2021. Wendell's World and Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, man, let's get into some football. Let's get into some football, NFL and college football weekend. I'm going to start with college football. COVID has struck the SEC in a big way, hasn't it? Jeez, man, Saturday's game between Alabama and LSU has been postponed because of COVID-19 concerns. Now, this has not been the, this game wasn't going to be your typical Alabama-LSU clash of the Titans, but uh, it was a uh, prime time game, and I was looking forward to it, but from a statement made by SEC Commissioner Greg Stakey, he said, while it's unfortunate to have multiple postponements in the same week, we begin the season with the understanding interruptions to the schedule were possible, and we have remained focused throughout the season on the health of everyone around our programs. We remain vigilant within our programs and in our communities to prevent and spread of the virus and to manage activities that contribute to these interruptions. And what LSU Tigers head coach Ed Orgeron said on Monday, he said that the team had multiple players either test positive for COVID-19 or go into isolation because of safety protocols and contact tracing. I don't know, man. You know, this is the second time that LSU has had a game postponed due to COVID-19. If you remember the game against Florida that was originally scheduled earlier in the year between the uh, Tigers and the Florida Gators, that's been moved to December 12th because of COVID-19, the breakout, the outbreak among the uh, Gators. And I mentioned before, hey, look, you know, this wasn't going to be your traditional LSU versus Alabama game. But, you know, anytime you get to see Alabama play, it's always a treat for me. I, I not a, I'm not the president of the Alabama fan club. I'm not, a pre- I'm not the president of the I love Nick Saban fan club. I think he's a great coach. I think the way that Alabama's been playing for the last couple of years when they've kind of realized that, you know what, we're going to have to score 45 points a game. We're, we can't win the traditional Nick Saban way when he won at LSU, when he won at Michigan State. So we're going to have to revamp and we're going to have to up the offense. And if that means that Nick Saban's reputation of, his, of a defensive genius goes down, the, goes down the drain because they're winning games 54 to 45 every week, as long as they can do that 10, 11, 12, 13 times and raise that championship trophy at the end of the season, who gives a flip. So Alabama has turned to one of the more exciting teams in college to football. And because they're so good and because they're so exciting to see, I enjoy uh, watching them play. But unfortunately for football fans, for college football fans, that's not going to be happening this, this Saturday against LSU. So when will the game be made up? The conference could decide to push the Alabama game to November 21st. And then reschedule the LSU-Arkansas game for December 19th. That would be the date of the SEC Championship and Alabama's game next weekend against Kentucky. Would also have to be rescheduled as 
um, both of them have December 12th dates open. So while LSU doesn't have that December 12th date, Alabama does. So if Alabama has to be, if the Alabama-LSU game has to be moved from this week to November 21st, that way Alabama then, who would have to, who would play Kentucky on November 20, November 21st, because both Kentucky and Alabama have open dates December 12th, that game then would be moved from November 21st, Kentucky versus Alabama, to December 12th, because LSU and Alabama then would have that date to play. Does everybody got that? Do you have that? Do you want me to go over that again? Do you want me to slow it down so you can understand correctly? Remember, there's going to be a quiz on this at the end of the semester, so you better get this down. Kentucky, Alabama, originally scheduled for November 21st, is going to be moved to December 12th. Why? Anybody? Juan, you know why? Amelia, you know why? Casey, do you know why? Exactly, because the Alabama-LSU game, which was scheduled for when? Correctly, on Saturday, is now going to be moved to November 21st. Alabama-Kentucky was scheduled for November 21st. They're going to move that game to December 12th. Let me ask you a question. Jamie, let me ask you a question. Why is it that the LSU-Alabama game is scheduled for December 12th? Thank you. Right, because LSU already has a date to play Florida that game. Very good, class. Nice job. Way to go. Give me a high five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... That's been one of the games that's going to be rescheduled. One of four games, three games in the SEC that's been uh, canceled this weekend. Other games in the SEC conference that's been postponed. You've got the number five team in the country, Texas A&M. Their game against Tennessee has been postponed. They'll play on their open date, December 12th. Texas A&M coach Jimbo Fisher, the $75 million man, said Monday that, excuse me, that it had to pause activities for the day after two people, one player and a student worker, Tested positive for COVID-19 after the trip to South Carolina, Mississippi State versus Auburn. That's been postponed until December 12th. Mississippi State is dealing with positive tests in this program. And the athletic director, John Cohen, for that school said that the Bulldogs would be below the 53-man limit for the game against the Auburn Tigers. And Auburn, in fact, had to uh, pause practices on Tuesday because they had 12 players test positive for COVID-19. So, or 12 players with, or 12 people within the program test positive. So, and Georgia, Missouri. I don't know. What what are you guys going to be doing now on uh, on 4 p.m.? Well, I guess for me, it's 1 p.m. out here in Vegas. But 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. What are you all going to be doing instead of watching the SCC Game of the Week on uh, CBS? Because I don't know what they're going to be putting on there. This, that game between Georgia and Missouri, that's been postponed because of a combination of positive tests, contract contact tracing and subsequent uh, quarantining of individuals within the Missouri program. And because Missouri has had a game tentatively scheduled for December 12th, the opportunity to reschedule the Georgia at Missouri game will need to be evaluated, reevaluated. So basically, I don't, some of these, I understand you need the money, 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 money. But if we're speaking about trying to bake up games around the SEC championship time, when these games really don't mean anything in terms of you know, who's going to be moving forward to try to make the college football playoffs and everything. I, I, why would you again try to, why are you again trying to uh, put this game on with the player's health, with the player's risk of this at stake? And if you're a player for Missouri, if you're a player for Auburn, if you're going to be rescheduling this and everything like that, do you even bother to play? I mean, we speak about, you know, these other games in the SEC that's been rescheduled to December 12th. 
if I'm some of these players, man, I'm like, you know what, man, screw it. Especially if I'm going to be uh, an NFL prospect or if I have to start my thinking mode into trying to get into the league, man, I, I don't really, I'm not really feeling playing, if I'm Texas A&M and I'm not going to be playing in a bowl game because the virus has canceled many of the bowl games and this is going to be my last game and all that kind of stuff. I'm not quite sure if I'm Texas A&M, if I'm an NFL prospect and I'm going to be playing in that game against Tennessee. Why? What for? I know if I don't play and I keep myself quarantined, if I use, um, if I, um, use maturity and handle my responsibilities that the chances of me not catching the virus are going to be nil. So why am I going to put myself out there? Not just for catching the virus, but also for injuring myself or doing something uh, catastrophic in terms of jeopardizing my chances of uh, making the NFL, making the league. So no, man, if I'm one of those teams, I don't care if I'm a prospect, NFL prospect in Tennessee or Georgia or Missouri or Texas A&M or whoever. I'm not. I'm not going out there. Same thing with LSU. I mean, what we what do we have? What is LSU going to be playing for if they reschedule that game down the road? What now? Florida might be a little bit different if LSU is going to be playing Florida, which LSU is going to be playing for Florida on December 12th. Florida still might have a chance because of them winning the SEC East and playing Alabama in the SEC championship game to move on to the college football playoffs. Okay, now you got me motivated. Okay, now you got my, my interest. Okay, now you got me a reason to go in there and to play that game. But if I'm LSU, and LSU is what, 3-5, three, 3-6 three at that time? Why am I going to waste my time if I'm an LSU player looking to go to the NFL? Why am I going to waste my time to play in that game? By even playing these games, the... NCAA and the school has shown how much they care about me. The fact that they care about the dollar amount, they care about their own wallet, they care about their own pockets, they care about their own money-making deal than they do about me to put me in this situation to continue to have the season that we're having because of all of these players, because of all of these programs testing positive for COVID-19. Why the fuck am I going to risk my life? Literally. Because we don't know what underlying effects you can get from getting the COVID-19. Why am I going to risk my health for for you when you've shown how much you care about me? So, I don't know. Arkansas announced on Monday morning that head coach Sam Pittman, he tested positive for the virus. He was awaiting the test of a follow-up. So, what Arkansas said in a statement about that, Pittman is not symptomatic and is in self-isolation at home. He resisted this morning. The He uh, retested this morning to confirm the results of Sunday's test within those results still pending. All individuals who are considered close contacts have been notified and will enter quarantine guidelines. Defensive coordinator Barry Odom is going to serve as the team's interim head coach ahead of the upcoming game against Florida. Odom, if you remember, was the head coach at Missouri for a little bit. So as far as head coaching is concerned, at least... If they go ahead and play this game, Arkansas will have someone who has done this before. So we're taking a look last weekend, Todd, uh, 10 college football games were postponed or canceled, four games involving Conference USA teams, two games in the Pac-12. Now you take a look at this week, there's five top 25 games that's been postponed or canceled for this week involving uh, number one, Alabama. You got number three, o uh, Ohio State. Their game has been postponed. Number five, Texas A&M. Number 12, Oregon. Number 24, Auburn. You know, it's that's just the way it is. That's just the flipping way it is. And when everything boils down to it, the college football as a whole 
college football is broken down to about five teams. No matter who gets the virus, no matter what happens, the those who run college football, those who want run the, the programs and those who are the TV execs and everything like that, it's just, you know what? Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, and maybe Florida. As long as we can get those four teams ready to play, when the uh, college football playoff comes, all of this other stuff is irrelevant. Games being canceled, games being postponed, games being rescheduled, the amount of players coming down with COVID, all of this stuff. It doesn't matter for college football if when the college football playoffs start, they can have Notre Dame, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, or a Florida in there. <clears throat> Every, that, that's, that's the key. The key was never to play a full schedule. I don't even think the key was ever to play a, a conference championships. The money for the teams is in the college football playoffs. That money is allocated not only to the players, uh, to the uh, uh, schools, but also to the conferences. So, hell yeah, you think the Big Ten is up there worrying about what games are canceled involving Wisconsin or Purdue or Illinois? You really think the SEC, I mean, Greg Skanky, I don't know the man personally, haven't spoke to him about this, but the, the, the biggest thing for him is not having Missouri cancel games. It's not having now Georgia cancel games. It's not now having LSU cancel games. It's all about what we can do for when these college football playoffs start and they test every single player on the Alabama football team that they come out negative so they can go ahead and play that game. It's the same thing with Ohio State. It's the same thing with Notre Dame. And it's now the same thing with Clemson. That is the main thing with college football, which makes me even dislike college athletics and the NCAA even more. The, the charge of them being hypocrites when it comes to student athletes and taking care of students and worried about the students and all those type of things, it's bullshit when you see this stuff going down. It's bullshit when you see this nonsense. It's bullshit when you hear these statements talking about, yeah, we knew this shit was going to happen. And you better thank Jesus. You better thank Allah. You better thank whoever you think. If you're thanking somebody of a higher power, that no one from any of these schools has come down and has become gravely ill or has died. You guys are playing. You guys are playing the game. You guys are playing the game in terms of, you know what? College athletics is going to be fucked for years. If someone catches this virus and becomes gravely ill and ill and die because all of a sudden that changes the narrative completely. And as I mentioned before, and I'll mention it again and again and again and again and again, all of a sudden now you have one of these players and it doesn't have to be from LSU. It doesn't have to be from a power five conference. It doesn't have to be from any of these, you know, notable institutions of college football elitism. It doesn't have to be from one of them places. It could be from uh, it could be from Coastal Carolina. It could be from one of these smaller schools that you haven't heard of. All of a sudden, this player gets sick. He died because of COVID nineteen. He might have caught it on a trip to uh, playing the school. All of a sudden, now you get unwanted attention from those who really don't know the entire deal. And I mentioned it before. I don't. Uh, when it comes to politics, I'll turn to PBS. When it comes to uh, politics, I'll, I'll listen to Joy Reid. When it comes to politics, I'll listen to Anderson Cooper. When it comes to politics, I'll listen to Don Lemon. When it comes to politics, I'll listen to Lawrence O'Donnell. I'll listen to those guys. But I want to hear those guys only speak about what they know, what their expertise is in, 
what they dedicated their lives for in terms of being on the air, in terms of being broadcasters. And that's politics. I don't want to hear them talk about sports. I don't want Joe Scarborough and I don't want Rachel Baddow to be talking about college athletics, pro athletics in any way, shape, or form. But you know, but you know, you want me to say it one more time? I will. But you know that if something happens, God forbid, to one of these athletes, these quote-unquote student athletes, and they get sick, and God forbid they die? Oh, all of a sudden now, all of a sudden now, Lawrence O'Donnell has something to pontificate on. Joy Reid now has something to give her opinion on. All of a sudden now, Don Lemon has something to give his opinion on. Aaron Burnett has something to give her opinion on, which probably for the most part, they probably don't know anything about. I'm doubting if Joy Reid is on the level of a Heather Dinich when it comes to college football knowledge and the ability to speak about it in a in an intelligent way concerning, you know, what's going down. So they don't have the insight. They don't have the, if, the avenues. They haven't put the time and the effort to do those type of things. But you know, those guys are going to be shaping the conversation in terms of college football, it's out of whack, it's terrible, it's greedy, it was never about the kids, it's all about money, what's going on, let me throw in my two cents, and it's going to be something that college football is not going to be able to control. I mean, shit, even those jackasses over at Fox News will be bringing in their two cents about the ills and the evils of college football in terms of what happens if one of these players become gravely ill. And I'm quite sure... The NCAA or college football, what could they, they could spin it to the way where it would be like, well, you know, we we really don't know. We don't know. We're not 100% sure if he caught it on that road trip to play that team. He, we, we weren't really sure. I mean, he could have been in the dorm room. It could have been when he went home. It could have been in a million other places. You can't put that on college football that this unfortunate tragedy happened. You can't put that on us. You know that, you know MSNBC, MSNBC ain't going to go for that. You know CNN ain't going to go for that. So all of this is just to say that college football is playing, a, is playing a dangerous game by throwing it out there. And they're not taking any time off. They're just plowing forward. Fuck it. Just put the head down and just keep on going. So we'll see what happens. We'll, we will definitely see what happens. But it's not going to get any better. I mean, Pfizer ain't going to be coming out with this vaccine tomorrow. And if they do come out with this vaccine, God forbid, I hope that they go ahead and if this thing is good to go, whenever it comes out, let's see what we can do about the essential workers getting the uh, vaccine first, then the elderly, those like my mother who are living in assisted living or nursing homes or something like that. Let's hope that they can go to them. And then afterwards, we can just go from there. The, The rest of the herd can go ahead and get this vaccine if they choose to uh, receive the vaccine. But there's no silver bullet. There's no, um, you know, bright lights and bubble gums and rainbows coming through for college football next week or the week after or the month after. This is going to be something that's going to be hovering over them for the entire season. And then it's going to move over to to, uh, college basketball. So, we'll see. College football is like, yeah, you know what? Horrible, terrible, miserable, shit, damn fuck. 
But as I mentioned before, as long as we can get that college football playoff started, as long as we can get those teams going in it, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Alabama, depending, somewhat of a combination of those four, maybe Florida, maybe somebody else like that, another school from a Power 5 conference, and we can have this college football playoff, the fans will be happy, the schools will be happy, the presidents will be happy, the TV execs will be happy, everyone will be happy, right? I guess. Get past the people, get past the hitmen. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. I am squirming, I am squeaming around my lower back. My lower back is a little bit stiff. Now, this is what happened. Kids, pay attention. I'm talking to you now. Pay attention. Wake up. Hey, hey, wake up back there. I'm talking. Could you please get your head up, please? Thank you very much. Um, No, you don't need to take notes for this. This is just life lessons that Mr. Wallace is going to be giving you today, so please pay attention. Man, don't ever get fat. Don't ever get fat. Just because you're young, just because you think you're invincible, and just be think just because, you know, you don't have this pop belly, and just because, you know, you guys can, you know, feel like you can jump over Volkswagens and throw um and, and, and throw uh buildings a half block. Parents just don't understand. Or I think I can beat Mike Tyson. Hey man, you know, right now, pay attention to uh what you're eating. Pay attention to what you're doing physical-wise because when you reach my age and you're nothing but a broken-down, pathetic shell of your former self, whoo, boy, it sucks. Mentally growing old is fantastic. Fantastic. There is no humanly possible way. I don't give a fuck. There is nothing, nothing that you can do to have me mentally go back to what I was in my 20s. I'm a piece of shit. I'm a piece of shit mentally right now. In my early 50s. Could you imagine how stupid I was in my 20s? Yeah, exactly. So, no, there is no, there is no, nothing that you can do to have me go, yeah, going back to 23 and 22 and 18 and 25 and 27. Yeah, that sounds good. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. So, as you get older, it's a wonderful journey, ment- journey mentally when you finally grow up and you finally mature and you finally know what's right from wrong. And some of the stupid shit that you thought was cool and you wanted to do, you now know how stupid it is. And you're like, I ain't doing that stupid shit. Now, some people mature slower than others. Some people mature faster than others. But uh, yeah, man, growing old physically sucks. Mentally, it's great. Physically, it sucks. My lower back, because for the last, I say now, nine weeks, I've been getting myself back to the gym. I didn't do shit. I didn't do 
I did absolutely absolutely nothing for about six or seven months. And when I say I didn't do nothing in terms of physical-wise, in terms of doing anything to uh, help my body, I did nothing except sit on my fat, lazy, pathetic ass and eat Del Tacos, number four, with the, with the burger, Carl's Jr., McDonald's, corny salad burritos with three-roll tacos with guacamole. It was, I did nothing. I, 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 I sabotaged anything in terms of trying to get into any type of decent shape. And I would look at myself in the mirror and I would see my stomach growing and growing and the belly getting bigger and bigger. And I just didn't give a fuck. <laughs> I just said, you know what? I'm in that groove right now where it just feels so good for me to sit on my ass and watch television and every now and then do some podcasting. And, you know, I didn't do any type of walking. I didn't do any type of exercise whatsoever. So you're looking at shit, man. I was slowing down on a, uh, I was slowing down really from the beginning of the year. I went from taking body pump two to three times a week. It was only now on Sundays when I, uh, for the, for about three or four weeks. Then the pandemic hit and it was like zip, especially when my gym stopped when my gym closed. I didn't do anything, man. I didn't do anything. So the weight just piled on. So I promised my wonderful, beautiful, fantastic, intelligent, lovely, lover more than anything in the world, uh, goddaughter, Sydney Davis. I said, look, I got to get out and I've got to start. I got to start working out again. I've got to start, you know, doing some things. And for the first time in a long time, because and I'll get back to sports in a minute, man, stop rolling your eyes. I, um, I said that, uh, you know, I've always, when I worked out, I would always do like two months on, one month off, three weeks on, four weeks off, two months on, six months off. I mean, I would get in these roles and I would try to be like, okay, well, you know, I want to, you know, I'm going to go home and see my parents in a couple of months. So, you know, let me go ahead and work my ass off for this date so I can go ahead and see them. I would always try to set goals like six to eight to 12 weeks out in front of me so I could work really hard so it could give me a reason to uh, go to the gym and break some of the laziness I would have when I didn't want to go to the gym and I would try to convince myself exactly why do I want, why do I want to go to the gym today? Why do I feel like going to the gym today when vanity didn't work? Why in the hell do I want to do this again? Oh, yes, right, because I'm going to be seeing my parents. Oh, yeah, that's right, I'm going to be doing this. Or, oh, yeah, I'm going to be doing that. Or when I was playing racquetball, oh, yeah, I want to keep in shape to keep up with my friends playing racquetball. So in between Wednesdays when I would go play racquetball, I would situate three to four days a week for me to go work out cardio so I could become a better racquetball player, so I could become more competitive against the guys that I was playing racquetball against who were very who were better than me, but I was trying to maintain the fact that physically I was just as good or better than they were cardiovascular-wise. Well, when all that shit went out the window, I'm not good long-term. I'm not good with the, I want to work out so I can, you know, stay young and all this good stuff and put some, you know, health money in the bank. So when I need to withdraw it in my 60s and 70s, if God forbid I'm still living here, I can go ahead and do that. I've, I've never been good with long-term stuff. Like, why exactly am I doing this? Why am I doing these exercises? Now, this is the first time in a long time that I'm like, you know what? I ain't doing this so I can walk down the street and have some 25-year-old female go, ooh, ooh, ah, ah. I'm not doing this so I can walk down the street with my shirt off going, hey, ladies. I mean, vanity-wise... I'm not working out for any of this shit. There's no like short-term goal for me to reach or anything. I'm just working out because, you know, I'm sick and tired of 
my back killing me because I'm so fucking fat. I'm sick and tired of walking upstairs and being winded because I'm so fucking fat. I'm tired of not being able to lift myself off a couch or off a chair or out of my bed because I'm so fucking fat that it's a chore for me to do so. Just some of the things that we take for granted. I'm tired of it being a, I'm tired of it being a, uh, you know, being a, a hard act to do. So it's not about me looking in the mirror and saying, I don't have six packs. I don't have six pack abs after eight weeks. Fuck it. Let me go ahead and go to Burger King and get myself two Whoppers for $5. I'm not doing that anymore. Now it's about me. Um, just, you know, it's a long haul. And sometimes I take my shirt off. I look at my, look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, God damn, man, really? I've been doing this now for six weeks and this is as far as I've gotten. Hey man, I gotta remember for six months, you didn't do shit. So you ain't changing six months of damage in six weeks, no matter how hard you work. And I'm not killing myself. It's a nice, steady maintenance of what I'm doing. I'm doing my body pump. I'm doing my cardio. I'm doing the Stairmaster. I'm doing the treadmill. I'm going to the gym four days a week. And that's it. And I'm realizing that it's going to take me a considerable amount of time to uh, get near the shape that I want to get into. But that's fine. That's okay. As long as I see improvements, which I have, I'm still going to be doing this. I see myself getting stronger. Some of the things now, as far as what I just mentioned before about, you know, standing up for long periods of time or getting out of bed or rising out of a seat, now are much more easier because of the squats that I've been doing, because of the lunges that I've been doing, because of the uh, deadlifts that I've been doing, because of the rows that I've been doing, because of those type of things, because of the push-ups, push-ups that I've been doing. I see my muscularity in my chest getting better because of the shoulder shrugs and the shoulder raises that I've been doing. I see that my shoulders now are getting a little bit stronger. The definition and my biceps and my triceps are getting better. I'm, I'm not saying I'm Terry Crews. I'm not saying that I'm Dwayne Johnson. I'm not saying I'm any of those guys, but I'm just saying compared to what I was when I started in mid to late August to where I am now, I do see some improvement enough for me to say, keep going, keep going because you've got a long way to, you've, you've done well, but you've got a long way to go. So that's my story about uh, where I'm at right now, man. Tuesdays, Thursdays, which is tomorrow, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday before football starts, go to my body, Les Mills body pump class, work on my chest, work on my Shoulders, work on my tries, work on my buys, work on my thighs, work on my ass, work on my core. My core is the worst. Jeez, my core really sucks. Good Lord have mercy. Jeez, I mean, my core is bad. But when you're carrying all the weight that I'm carrying, I mean, what else could you expect? But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Friday nights, I go ahead and I do my cardio. So, um, and I'm trying to eat as well, you know, back to juicing, back to my green drinks, uh, watching what I eat, still slip. Still slip a little bit, but it's a long-term game. Long-term game for me. You know, I'm not uh, looking to uh, lose 60 pounds in four or five months. This is a this is a lifetime deal that I'm going to be doing. And I recognize if it's going to be a lifetime deal that there'll be some times that I slip. But uh, the slips will be far, few and far between. And let's see what I can do about changing my lifestyle around. i got to remember, ladies, that, you know, I mean, I'm an unrestricted free agent. And for my age, I look damn good. You know, even with my receding hairline and my and my bulge in my um, in my belly, I'm still a handsome guy. You know, who hasn't given, who hasn't yet not given up on love. So, if you're, uh, you know, if you're between the ages of, 
difference between the ages of 41 and 45 and you're good looking come get some Wendell's World of Sports I'm your Jesus what a fucking loser Wendell's World of Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us alright man alright let's go back to sports shall we let's do this um college football weekend looks like uh, we have the four best teams in the country right I talked about before with the pandemic that college football doesn't care as long as it's got Notre Dame as long as it's got Alabama Ohio State Clemson Florida somewhere of those teams in the college football playoffs. Well, it looks like the Fighting Irish have entered the discussion in terms of the elite football programs currently in in the game. So right there with Alabama, Notre Dame, and uh, I'm sorry, Notre Dame is right there with Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. That game, 47-40 in double overtime, very entertaining, best game of the season, most watched game of the season, really good. I was rooting for Clemson. DJ Ulagalele, I hope I say that name right, that guy, as I mentioned before in the podcast, the last podcast I did, the first time I saw him when he was playing against Boston College, man, that guy has tankable potential. You know, uh, who who is going to be... uh, who is going to be taking for DJ, you know? Who is going to be uh, throwing away a season to get that guy for the 2023 draft if he continues to progress? Because that guy is something else. Putting up 40 points, he threw for, I think, over 400 yards. That was that was unbelievable. But Notre Dame proved they belong with the elites of college football. They dominated the offensive and defensive line. If you take away the kneel downs and you take away the sacks in terms of rushing, the Notre Dame defense with Clemson, they held Notre, they held Clemson to 49 yards rushing on 30 carries. Travis Etienne, one of the guys who were speaking about possible Heisman Trophy winner, best running back in college football, arguably. I know those Najee Harris fans will sit there and go, whoa. But for the most part against Notre Dame, I mean, the man touched the ball 26 times on offense. He only had 85 total yards. He had 28 yards rushing, 18 carries. 57 yards receiving on eight, eight catches. That's it. That was done. Clemson's 34 total yards rushing. That's the lowest output it's been since that uh, since 2011 for those guys. So it was just amazing to me that Clemson couldn't get any type of traction in the running game. And yes, I know that Notre Dame was basically selling out to stop the stop the uh, running game. And once again, speaking about ETN, I mean. You know, he went for 10 yards on his first carry of the game. And then after that, you take away that 18 yards on just 17 rushes. Ian Book was, what, 22 or 39, 310 yards. The offensive line for Notre Dame was solid. The team had 518 total yards. They rushed for 200 yards, over 200 yards, five yards per carry. It was just amazing to me how much pressure Notre Dame was putting on Ulagalele and as much time as Ian Book had throwing the football and the way Notre Dame was moving the ball down the field and he took away a fumble that Ian Book had in the end zone. I mean, maybe they don't even get to overtime. Maybe this is Notre Dame winning the game going away. Everybody's talking about Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. Hey, again, Notre Dame put up 40 points. Yeah, double overtime, but still, they moved the ball down the field. Ulagalele had a great game, so it wasn't a situation where they couldn't move the ball. More importantly for Clemson going forward, it's getting some starters back on that defense for Clemson because Boston College was successful in moving the ball, especially the first half. And you remember the game uh, before Notre Dame where Boston College was playing Clemson and 
Clemson fell behind 28-13. First two games, first two drives of the game, Boston College um, scored touchdowns. So this is something that long-term, yeah, Trevor Lawrence can come back and do his thing, but unless they get some type of defense, and I'm not speaking about the rest of the regular season, it's not going to matter too much for the rest of the season for Clemson because they're far superior talent-wise than anybody else that they're going to be playing. But if they if they go ahead and they play Notre Dame again, the great thing about Notre Dame winning this game is, I think, as long as they win the rest of their games, it really doesn't matter what happens in the ACC championship game because the Big 12 is trash. The Big 10, I mean, except for Ohio State, there's really nothing to speak about then. The SEC, they're, for the most part, I mean, Florida and Alabama, is there anybody else? Not LSU, not Auburn, not Tennessee, not Georgia. Who else is a real contender? Especially when we don't know what, because of the cancellations or postponements of these games, what does that mean for that conference moving forward? So for Notre Dame, it's just a matter of if they win the rest of their games, it's really a moot point what they do in the championship game, ACC championship game, unless Clemson puts on a, a beatdown of, of unbelievable proportions on Notre Dame. But for the most part, which I don't think that's going to be happening, I think the days of, at least for this season, I think the days of Notre Dame playing a team like Alabama or playing a team like Clemson in a really competitive football game in terms of, uh, you know, playing in a championship or the national championship or the playoffs or anything like that and getting blown out 42-14 to 14 or losing 30-3 to 3 in a game that wasn't even that close. I think for this season, no matter who Notre Dame plays, whether it be Ohio State, Alabama, or Clemson, don't think that's going to be the outcome of the game. I'm not saying that they're going to win, but for the first time since Brian Kelly took over as head coach of Notre Dame 10 years ago, 10 football seasons ago, I think that Notre Dame has the best opportunity to win themselves a national championship. And losing in a competitive game in the ACC championship to Clemson is not going to be a situation for them to be knocked out of that, uh, op- knocked out of the opportunity to play for a championship or to make it to the um college football semifinals. So now the now the pressure is going to be on Clemson because now Clemson cannot lose another game. I don't think. Really? I don't think so. I don't know. Shit, man. I was just thinking about that because you take a look. Again, normally, you would say that the, that the uh, Big 12 is in play, right? Because you would say, well, you know, you can't have Clemson losing because you would traditionally have two teams from the SEC one team from the Big Ten, and then one team from the ACC, right? Isn't that the point? With either uh, Oklahoma somehow, some way, getting their way in there, depending upon what happens in the uh, SEC. This year, we don't know. So could we have a situation where we would have a two-loss Clemson team with their only losses being to Notre Dame, still being able to make it to the uh, college football semifinals and college football playoffs? If everything holds the form and Ohio State does do uh, does what they need to do and Alabama does what they need to do? Would it then come down to, you know what? It really doesn't matter what happened in the ACC uh, championship game. Either one of these teams are going to be, both of these teams are going to be making it into the playoffs. Hmm. How would that go for, how would that go for college football? And I know, I know, it's different this year because of COVID-19. You have to, you know, kind of think outside the box and all these other things. Moving forward, man, let's think about that. Let's really think about that, you know? Because isn't the 
one of the real advantages, isn't the thing that college football likes to tell over and over and over again, is the fact that, hey, you know what, our, you know, we're the only sport where the regular season matters. He he ha ha ha. Every game in the regular season is really a playoff game. He ha ha ha. Well, really? If that's the case, if you have a two win or a two loss Clemson team going into the playoffs, does it really mean that? I mean, if Oklahoma doesn't lose another game, they have two losses. What about Texas A&M? They would only have one loss. What about Cincinnati? They would be undefeated. Would you actually move Cincinnati into the college football playoffs? And if you don't, under these circumstances, then when would a non-Power 5 team uh, make it to the national championship? If you ain't going to do it this year, if Clemson loses to Notre Dame and Ohio State runs the table, Notre Dame runs the table. Alabama runs the table. Are you really going to put in a two-loss Clemson team over an undefeated Cincinnati team? Would you put in a Florida team, a two-loss Florida team, over an undefeated Cincinnati team? Would you do that? Huh? Huh? (laughs) So those are the things to think about. But Notre Dame proved that they, they were there. They went 10 of 19 on third down. Clemson went 4 of 15 on third down. I mean, <sighs> hmm. could you say it? I guess now for real we can say what this victory means for Notre Dame that they are currently, finally, been a long damn time, one of the elite college football programs in the country as of right now. How are we, what are we going to do to build on this? This was an important step because everybody sitting up there, Brian Kelly was talking about not a big deal, not a big deal, win or lose, not a big deal, not a big deal. We're 32 and, you know, we're 29 and 3 over our last 32 games. We've been 39 and 6 over a certain amount of time, blah, blah, blah. But they've never had that signature win. They never had that big time win. Forget beating the number one team. It's been so long, I'm missing you, baby, like Anita Baker, that the Notre Dame Fighting Irish have beaten a team of any type of consequence in a game of any type of consequence that it was empty calories in terms of the wins that they had, in terms of the record that they were, uh, that they, that they had during that time. This now is the building block for those guys to all of a sudden say, yeah, you know what? When you speak about some of the best teams, I think this elevates them over a team like Oklahoma State. I think this elevates this win right here as a football program moving forward from this point right now. I think it elevates them, definitely, certainly elevates them past a school like Penn State or a Michigan or something like that. I think now that moves them past someone like a Georgia or one of the top tier schools and now the SEC. I think you take a look at the tiers. I think, I think, Notre Dame is somewhere not quite yet because of consistency at the level of the elite of the elite, but they're better than the next tier. They're somewhere stuck in the middle. So where do they move? Where do they go from here? And I'm not just talking about for the rest of this season. I'm just talking about now for the short amount of time, the 2021 season, the 2022 season, the 2023 season. Where does Notre Dame, how does Notre Dame use this victory in their program to take that last small step to get where Clemson is now? As a 
football program. I'm not just talking about just for this year, but I'm talking about moving forward. You know, in the year 2022, for the most part, nothing's really set in stone. That's the reason why we get up each morning and and see what life has to bring from uh, to bring to us. But for the most part, you can bet your bottom dollar that you're going to hear me holler that for the 2022 season, programs like Ohio State and Clemson and possibly Georgia, if they can get themselves a fucking quarterback in Alabama, Dan Mullen at Florida, maybe those guys. You know Lincoln Riley is going to turn things around at Oklahoma. Mario Cristobal, we'll see what he's going to be doing over in Oregon out there on the, on the West Coast. Is Clay Hilton still going to be the coach at USC when the uh, that season is moving? They've had themselves, USC, a pretty good recruiting class. So are they going to be able to reemerge and put themselves as serious elite college football programs moving forward in the 2021 and 2022 and 2023 and 2024 seasons? Let's see what Notre Dame does. Let's see what Notre Dame does. It could catapult them. We could be looking at when Notre Dame is holding up that college football championship trophy in 2022 and 2023, and everybody's talking about they're going to be good for years to come because of their program that they've now have in place. They could take a look back at that Saturday afternoon in November where they beat their number one Clemson in double overtime where students irresponsibly stormed the field. Now everybody's talking about, hey, no big deal. It's no big deal. Hey, you know what? No one... Who stormed the field is now caught COVID. Everyone has their tests, blah, 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 and yeah, whatever. But uh, we can point back to that and say the Notre Dame waking up the echoes and all those type of things that we now associate uh, generations or two before was associate with Notre Dame. Rudy, Rudy, Era Parsegian, Paul Horning, Joe Thiesman, change his name to Thiesman so we can rhyme with Heisman, Rocket Ismael, Tony Rice, Lou Holtz, Jerome Bettis, that elite football program of the 50s and the 20s and the 80s, now all of a sudden, bringing it up to the next generation, Brian Kelly could be the foundation for the next five, 10 years of elite of Notre Dame football upon this country, upon the landscape of college football. And it all started, it all started to form. It all started to grow. It gave birth the night that they beat Clemson and the pandemic-ridden COVID-19 hell of a year, which was 2020. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom. Konnichiwa. Wassalamu alaikum. Que pasa. Bonjour. Bonsoir. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports, mainly speaking about um, football, college, and pro. Get the pro in just a second. I'm right now watching guys' grocery games. I'm recording this on a Wednesday night. Yeah, I know it came out late, but you know, fuck it. I had thing to do, life to live. Um, so I'm uh, watching guys' grocery games on the Food Network channel. 
I'm telling you, man, y'all think I'm joking. You think I'm laughing and joking and hee 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 and then bullshitting. Nah, man, I, you know, I, you got to give me my uh, props when it comes to the Food Network channel. You know, beat Bobby Flay, diners driving and dives, chopped, guy grocery gains. You know, I got to watch them. I got to watch them bad boys. Now, moving up, I'm going to be watching uh, at 8 o'clock tonight. I'm going to be watching AEW, uh, the wrestling. I mean, Raw has been so bad that it's just like I have fucking no interest in Raw. I listen to a couple of uh, really good wrestling podcasts and they review and they go over what happened in Raw. And every time they do, and I listen to them, and every time I listen to what uh, the show was about, I'm like, woo, I'm so glad I didn't waste my time watching that shit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Randy Orton at the champ again, boring. I mean, Miz holding the uh, holding the briefcase, what they're doing with Lana being put through a table week after week. Uh, even though they need to let me know exactly what time Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, Dana Brooke is going to be on. Because a couple of times when I've been doing work, I've had the uh, TV on mute and I just use Raw as like, you know, just a little bit of distraction. When them young ladies come out, man, and you're talking about some fine looking young ladies. Good Lord have mercy. I always thought Dana Brooke looked good. But uh, way to go Dave Batista for dating her. I don't know if he still is, but man, way to go with that one. And uh, I don't know who's dating Mandy Rose. It ain't uh, Sonya Deville anymore. But uh, if there's a guy who's dating Mandy Rose, man, let me bow down and give you a high five and give you a pound because uh, that is one sexy, good-looking woman. Congratulations to her mom and dad for producing something like that. But um, but uh, yeah, the women division sucks. Lana sucks. I mean, is there anybody worse on the mic than Nia Jack? I mean, her, her her talking skills are garbage. I'm not into The Fiend, and now my beautiful Alexa Bliss is doing the Harley Quinn nonsense, which, you know, I'm not into The Fiend stuff. Don't like The Fiend. Think it's this ridiculous gimmick. I know people like it, and if I would run into WWE, I'd, I'd throw it out there. If you're gonna, if people like it, you know, who am I to say, no, don't do it just because I don't like it. I just find it corny. I just find it ridiculous. So Raw does nothing for me, which sucks now because you got the Holly, you got the baking championships on chopped. So I don't want to watch that either. So it's like my Mondays are basically spent listening to podcasts and listening to my Spotify songs. But uh, yeah, so, you know, wrestling. I, I mean, I love the Roman Reigns character. I love what they're doing. That Sasha Banks is the um, champion over on SmackDown. SmackDown has so many other have so many good uh, storylines. You got Paul Heyman now with being the advocate for Roman Reigns, and that's that storyline he's doing with Jey Uso is pretty good. The uh, Rey Mysterio, his daughter, and Buddy Murphy. Uh, cringe. Cringe. Buddy Murphy is 32, and Rey Mysterio's daughter, Aaliyah, she's 19. And they're doing a, a love triangle storyline. Uh, that's a awkward, creepy, kind of like, cause, you know, I think they've shown those two kissing after um, Aaliyah saved Buddy Murphy from Shane Rollins, Seth Rollins' attack. And I love him. I love him. The acting's bad. And, you know, if I'm Buddy Murphy, is like, man, really? I mean, you know, I don't mind doing a love triangle, but you couldn't give me Mandy Rose. You couldn't give me, uh, you know, Dana Burke. You, you couldn't give me... Uh, you couldn't give me, oh, who's the guy? Who's Corey Graves dating that, his, his, that, that one girl who he left his wife and kids for? 
Um, oh, the New Jersey girl. I forgot. It'll come to my mind in a second. Carmella. Carmella, thank you. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't give me Carmella? You couldn't give me a storyline with that? I mean, you want me kissing up on them? Hey, man, I'm all for it. You know, I mean, you know, I'll start dancing on the ceiling like I'm Lionel Richie. I'm so happy to do that. Uh, I'll do that storyline. No big deal. But Aaliyah? I'm 32 and she's 19? And she's a teenager and I'm 32? <sighs> I don't think so, man. Not only that, I mean, Ray? I mean, Ray Mysterio? You're going to have your daughter in a storyline like that kissing on a man who's 13 years older than your daughter? You, you you okay with that? Did they give you a little extra bonus? I mean, Dominic, I mean, you know, I mean, if I'm Dominic, I'm like, hey, is there anybody, is there is Naomi? Can I start kissing up on her? Can you give me a storyline where I'm kissing up on her and we fall in love and all that kind of good stuff? I mean, damn, that's just, that's just kind of creepy. But all of this is to say that right now I prefer AEW. (laughs) I prefer AEW. If uh, I remember what, when they had um, AJ Lee, remember that storyline where they had AJ Lee and she was up there falling in love and kissing up on Daniel Bryan and CM Punk and Kane. I mean, those guys, I mean, you know, eventually AJ Lee, who used to date Jay Lethal, she married CM Punk. Uh, what was the, what's the guy's name? Not Mel Brooks, Scott Brooks. I don't know. Whatever CM Punk's real name is, name escapes me right now. But those two got married, and they seem to be living happy and healthy. And um, Daniel Bryan, I mean, he's got two kids. And he married, I guess, one of the Bella twins. So, but man, and uh, you know, Kane is what he's now what doing some like political stuff in uh, Tennessee where he's from. I don't know. He's the mayor or whatever. I don't know. He's something in politics. But man, I tell you what, boy. I mean, kissing up on AJ Lee. Well, I was like, yeah, man, can we go ahead and we can keep the storyline going for, I don't know, a couple of years? I mean, shit. I would have been very disappointed when they were like, yeah, we're going to move in another direction. So, you know, AJ Lee running up and kissing on you in the ring, you know, passionately kissing on you in the ring. That's going to end. We're going to move on from the storyline. I mean, do we really have to? I mean, do we? I mean, do we? I, I, shit. <laughs> but yeah, Buddy Murphy and Aaliyah. Aaliyah Mysterio. 32 and 19. Buddy Murphy's like, you know, times are tough. I'm under contract. You know, you don't want to go against Vinnie Mac, so all right. And Rey Mysterio's like, yeah, my 19-year-old daughter is in a storyline where she's kissing up on a 32-year-old man. Hmm. 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 I know, I'm not a parent, so you, so I wouldn't understand. i tell you one thing. The beautiful Sydney, who's 21, 22 years old, I don't want her kissing up on no 32-year-old man. Mm-mm. Uh-uh. Shot, me and Mikel get that shotgun because it's going to be a shooting. Wendell's World and Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, What's going on in the NFL from week nine? Anything important? Anything? Oh, yes, of course. The game of the weekend was anything but. Oh, what happened to the Tampa Bay Yuccaneers on Sunday night against the New Orleans Saints? Yikes. Wow. Man, well, what was all that about? Man, I get the question now after Tampa Bay got destroyed at home by the Saints, 38-3. Drew Brees, 26-32, 222 yards, four touchdowns, completely carved up the uh, Tampa Bay defense, kind of put a dent in Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles' quest to get himself a head coaching job because I was just going on and on and on about how great the uh, – Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense has been throughout the season and how Todd Bowles, who in four years with the New York Jets really did an 
underrated job now as we look back on it because of the Jets and where they are right now. But, woo, 38-3. And it was a bad game plan from coach to everybody. I mean, it was just bad. The, the, the blame could be placed all over. From Bruce Arians to Byron Leftwich to Paul to Todd Bowles to everybody. Man. So how much of it was a factor of New Orleans just, you know, just had the game of their season and it was a bad time for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to have the bad, the worst game of their season. It just looked like to me, man, just coming out in the first couple of series where Tampa Bay couldn't move the ball and the Saints were marching in the end zone. All those Saints were marching and everybody wanted to be in that number where the Saints were marching past the Buccaneers for a touchdown time after time after time. Tampa Bay just looked like they were just flat. Mentally not ready to play. Mentally not ready to fight for the win that they needed it. They were unprepared. They were uncoached. I mean, I, I I, don't believe, especially if you're a professional athlete, that the coach needs to run in there and give you a rah-rah speech and how much he loves you and a nuke Rodney, let's go out there and get him. You do that 16 times a week, you're, you're, you know, it ain't going to work. You, you have to say those type of speeches. I would think, I don't know, I've never been an NFL head coach, so I don't know, but my guess would be that you say those types of, you know, speeches for, you know, maybe in, in a, a championship game, a Super Bowl or something like that. This game gets you into the playoffs. I mean, really something like that. This is only week nine of the season, but this almost felt like a coronation going into this game of Tampa Bay being the elite team of the NFC. And they were going to get the revenge over the one team that beat them. I mean, losing to Chicago, whatever. I mean, it was a Thursday night, whatever. Those things are going to happen. But in a team that was really going to uh, be a true obstacle for the Buccaneers to get to the Super Bowl and fulfill all the expectations that they had going into the 2020 season, that this was going to be the time to let the world know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were not one to be fucked with. And watch what we do at home I get the New Orleans Saints. And New Orleans said, whoa, no, 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 no. If anyone's going to be doing the ass whooping, it's going to be us. And whoo, what an ass whooping they gave. And as I mentioned before, it was, it was strange, wasn't it? Wasn't it strange? Like Tom Brady, no, I mean, hmm, where was the emotion? Where was the yelling and the screaming and the when they were getting their asses whooped? Where was the admonishing of the offensive line where... Those guys were just getting beat left and right. Now, maybe because Tom Brady was playing so poorly that he was like, well, let me kind of like put that gun in the uh, in the holster and save it for another day because if I go out yelling and screaming, those guys are going to be looking at me saying, really? I mean, the guy who just threw another interception, you're going to be up here talking about yelling and screaming. Another guy, a guy who just missed another open receiver, you got the nerve to be sitting up there and yelling and screaming at us. When do the tables get to turn and we get to yell and scream at you for your bad play? So Brady is smart enough and experienced enough to be like, eh, I don't I don't know. But it just seemed like, you know, as far as the offense goes, Brady is, could you say that he's the leader? Everything, everybody has been so, had been, this team has been put together so quickly because of the acquisition of Brady and now Antonio Brown and Leonard Fournette and Gronkowski, that some of the roles that these guys are trying to fill, you, you can't do it all in in a half a season, especially when you had such a short and uh, 
different type of training camps and OTAs and stuff. You can't build that chemistry. You can't build that togetherness. You can't build that situation where, you know, you feel without, without really without thinking, this is what I need to do to get my team a going. Tom Brady doesn't know his offensive lineman well enough. Tom Brady doesn't know his offensive personnel well enough. He doesn't know those guys to just be like, you know, yelling and screaming like he could say in New England because he's been with Josh McDaniels and he's been with the offensive guys for five or six or seven years or at least three or four years. He's still learning these guys. So maybe this was a situation where Tom said, if I go over and I start yelling and screaming and throwing things and cursing them out, that it will be more detrimental in the long term, then it will be uh, trying to get them to turn around and play better in the short term. But it was just strange just to see Brady just like sitting over there with a scowl on his face and really that's the only emotion that he was showing. I don't know what it was. It was like, like he was angrily upset because he was getting his ass whooped and there was really nothing that he could do about it. And he didn't want to get his ass whooped. He didn't want to get embarrassed. But there was nothing that he could do about it, and he was fucking pissed off about it. That's the type of when I was seeing him when he saw when I saw him on the sidelines with that scowl. That's what I first thought of. It was like there's nothing I can fucking do. I'm stinking up the joint. My team is stinking up the joint. New Orleans is playing out of their mind. There's really nothing that we can do to get back into this game, and we have to stay out here for another two and a half hours. Fuck me. So I think that was. Uh, I think that was the deal. The Buccaneers only ran, man, the Buccaneers only ran 46 offensive plays. 46. The first half featured five drives of three plays or fewer. This is the team that was put together that was supposed to be the dream team, right? This is Tom Brady, the greatest of all time as far as quarterbacks is concerned. He damn sure, he damn sure is going to be sitting at that table. We've got O.J. Howard, we got Ron Gronkowski, we got Ronald Jones, we got Leonard Fournette, we've got Mike Evans, we got Chris Godwin who's returning, we got these offensive weapons. What the fuck is going on where we're only having, where we have five drives of three and outs? Tampa attempted only to run the ball five times. That set an NFL record for the fewest rushing attempts in the game. The fifth rushing attempt was a kneel down at the end of the game, so in all actuality, they ran the ball four fucking times. Come on, Byron. Come on, Bruce. I mean, damn, I'm no, I'm no football head. I'm no NFL head coach. I'm no NFL coordinator. I haven't watched hours upon hours of film. I haven't put together a game plan, but jeez, you couldn't run the ball a little bit? Yeah, I know that the avalanche started early and often, but you couldn't just a little bit try to establish the run four times as far as running the ball? The Buccaneers' first four offensive possessions were three and outs. I don't think they had a first down until the second quarter. And on defense, I mean, they, they, they allowed, the Tampa allowed the uh, Saints to score four touchdowns and a field goal on their first six possessions. It would have been a perfect six for six if the, uh, if, if tight end Jared Cook didn't fumble at the four yard line trying to get into the end zone that one time. But man, it was just like surgical pre- precision by Drew Brees. He wasn't throwing the ball 10, 20, 30 yards down the field. Oh, I got a, I got a weak arm? No, oh, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I'll be throwing those little five-yard outs. I'll be throwing those little six-yard outs. That's okay. Because guess what? I'll take second and six. I'll take second and four. I'll take second and three. That's fine. That's cool. I'll take third and two. I'll take third and four. That's fine. That's fine. We don't need to go ahead. I don't need to be like the, the Don Coriel San Diego Chargers. 
I don't need to be like the like the Oakland Raiders bomb the ball with Daryl LaMonica and Ken Stabler. That's fine. That's cool. I mean, there's other ways to whip your ass and just go ahead and, and to be the greatest show on turf, like the St. Louis Cardinals, the, the, uh, St. Louis Rams. We can go ahead and I can whip your ass doing it the way that I'm doing it. Shit, I, Drew Brees is sitting up there talking about shit. I didn't get into the Hall of Fame because, you know, I, I, I have an arm like Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes or Brett Favre. No, that's, that's cool. I got myself a genius of a mind of a football player where I can go ahead and I can decipher what's going to be happening. And I've got some targets of those, um, how many, of those 26 completions that he had, 12 of them were to uh, different receivers. I don't need to rely on Michael Thomas anymore like he did last year, where it's like I threw to him just as much as Deshaun Watson threw to uh, DeAndre Hopkins. That's cool. I can spread that ball around. So the only time Tampa was in possession to score or in a position to score, remember, the Buccaneers got to the one-yard line, and this was really like, it's not like, you know, oh, shit, comeback time. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, kind of like, uh, whatever, make it a little make it a little less... Make it a little less arduous. But Tampa got the ball at the one-yard line. Rob Gronkowski dropped the pass in the end zone on third down and goal. Then Brady tried to fade to... He tried to fade to uh, um, Evans in the uh, end zone left. Too tall. Fourth and goal. That was it. And once again, Brady just walked off the field. Just with a scowl. With a look of a defeated scowl. So, yeah, Shaq Barrett said it was a collapse. It was a total team collapse. Yeah, I would say so. Tampa allowed Brady to be sacked three times. On defense, they gave up 420 yards, eight yards net rushing. Yeah, I would say that was a complete total beatdown by the New Orleans Saints over the Buccaneers. Tampa Tom was brutal Brady. (laughs) It just... What was he for the game? 22 or 38, 209 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions. Now, one of the interceptions, I guess, Antonio Brown zigged when he should have zagged. But if you saw that play, that was going in. He was going to get that ball intercepted anyway because the free safety came over to uh, intercept it to begin with if if the cornerback didn't get to it. So that was a bad – he was throwing that ball into double coverage to begin with. So, you know, you can't put all the blame on that one. Yeah, there was a miscommunication between Brady and Antonio, but you can't put all of the blame on that play on that pass on Antonio Brown for that interception. So this was the third time in terrific Tom's career that he threw at least three interceptions without a touchdown pass. And the first time since 2006, 14 years. Yes. He was over five on passes of 20 or more yards in the year was eight to 15 on passes of 10 or more yards in the air against the uh, new Orleans Saints. And everybody's sitting there talking about, you know what, if you, if you pressure him, he won't be as effective. Well, yeah, no shit. <laughs> Really? So Tom, so if you pressure Tom Brady and you put people near him, defenders near him, and if you put a hand in his face and all of those things, you mean his efficiency is going to go down compared to when he has a clean pocket? Well, shit, I didn't know that. Six of 16 for 36 yards and one interception when he was pressured by the Saints. On the other hand, Drew Brees with 10 of 13 for 70 yards and three touchdowns and no interceptions. I don't know, man. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I don't know, man. What are you going to take away from this game? What do you want me to say? What do you What do you want to say about this? Because for weeks on top of weeks, at least I know I have, and other people have chimed in singing the song, 
that you know, Tampa Bay, hey, you know, when I, I went on the podcast last week, we're talking about Tom Brady. I don't, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but I did mention the fact, or I didn't mention th- throughout the opinion that uh, Tom Brady might not think about him as being an MVP candidate. I mean, why not? The way, the, the type of football that he was playing, why not? Maybe dipped a little bit against the New York Giants, but I mean, Tampa, I thought was one of the more complete teams in the NFL. I still, I still think they are. But I tell you one thing, along with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Kansas City defending champions and the LA Rams, the teams that I put there as the most complete teams, Baltimore Ravens, I think I also had uh, when speaking about that. One of the teams I didn't have was the New Orleans Saints when speaking about some of the most complete teams in the NFL defense offense. And one of the teams I did have in there were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And oops, <laughs> at least for one week, whoo, I was wrong as wrong can be. And again, I had the feeling, I got the feeling, y'all, that it was a situation where, again, this was the showcase of Tampa Bay being legit Super Bowl threats and one of the games elite. And Brady was supposed to strengthen the argument that he should be in serious contention for the MVP of the league. This what this, this is what this game was supposed to be about. It, it felt like, if I could just go back, and I dedicate this analogy to Armando Vasquez, I dedicate, I, um, I bring up the comparison to boxing and MMA when it comes to um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going into this game was supposed to be crowned the leaders of the teams, at least in the NFC, that were going to make it to the Super Bowl. And Tom Brady having the resurgence of the resurgence and one of the more remarkable seasons in NFL history. If you think about a 43-year-old guy who going into this game was considered top three, top four, top five of an MVP candidate, we know you ain't going to give it to Aaron Donald. Donald, you know you ain't going to give it to a defensive lineman, defensive end, offensive tackle. You know this is going to come down to a situation where it's a quarterback or a running back or a wide receiver, someone who's going to be putting up numbers. And we know along with Russell uh, Russell Wilson and uh, Patrick Mahomes and Alvin Kamara and a couple of others that Tom Brady was sitting right there, that this was supposed to be the coronation of the greatness of Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for 2020. So to use the equivalence of boxing and MMA, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were supposed to be like when Mike Tyson fought Evander Holyfield the first time. You remember that? Coming into the fight, Tyson, just like Tampa Bay, had just regained the crown as being you know the, the baddest man on the planet, the heavyweight champion, took the belt from a scared, um, oh, that motherfucker whose name I forgot, but, you know, beat Frank Bruno and a couple of other clowns after Tyson got out of jail, and he looked dominant, and he looked like the old Mike Tyson, and everybody was going to be erecting statues, and everybody was going to be naming their kids after him, and Brownsville, Brownsville was going to change their name, Bed-Stuy was going to change their name in the area where he grew up to Mike Tysonville. And Tyson was just going to knock out this over-the-hill, couldn't even knock out Bobby Sheds or couldn't even put away Bobby Sheds with a with ease, that he was going to knock out Holyfield and he was going to reign supreme. This is going to be the coronation of what everybody thought about Mike Tyson, the new Mike Tyson, beat Peter McNeely, beat Bruce Sheldon, beat Frank Bruno. This was the guy, Mike Tyson, who was supposed to be the best of the best. And Evander Holyfield said, no, nah, I don't think so. And beat that motherfucker from pillar to post. 
to regain the heavyweight championship of the world. That was the same thing with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The baddest motherfuckers on the planet as far as NFL football concerned outside of Kansas City and maybe Pittsburgh, at least in the NFC, were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They had just beaten up on a bunch of teams and they were going to come in and smoke the New Orleans Saints like a motherfucking pack of Newports and then be the team that was going to be the team, the cream of the crop, if I can use that cliche, in the NFC. And the New Orleans Saints said, fuck you, no way, no how, and beat those motherfuckers from pillar to post. That's my first comparison in terms of what it felt like going into that football contest on Sunday night between the uh, New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The other one, if I can remember, just going back, special dedication throwing out as far as this comparison is concerned to Armando Vasquez, to the Rampage Jackson-Chuck Liddell fight. Remember when Rampage first came over from Pride to the uh, UFC and Rampage was on his, you know, Rampage was having some problems, and Rampage couldn't get a good training camp, and Rampage was just a guy, yeah, he beat Kevin Randleman, that's fine, but Chuck Liddell was supposed to be the guy that was going to come in and revenge the loss that he suffered over in Pride in Japan when Chuck Liddell beat, uh, when, when Rampage beat Chuck Liddell. And at the time, Liddell was on a, Liddell was on a roll, he had beaten his, greatest foe, his greatest rival, and Tito Ortiz, and he had beaten some other guys and knocked them out, and Sports Illustrated, along with Rich Franklin, was talking about him being the greatest MMA fighter and all of these type of things, and the coronation was going to come when he got revenge on the one man that beat him, which was Rampage Jackson, and guess what fucking happened in Las Vegas in round one? Down goes Liddell. Down goes Liddell, Rampage Jackson, becomes the new light heavyweight champion. That's the equivalent to what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did. Tampa Bay, just like Chuck Liddell, was going to come in onto his home turf, on their home, on their home turf in Tampa, and was going to take revenge over the New Orleans Saints, a team that had been struggling, a team that had to go to overtime before beating uh, Nick Foles and the Chicago Bears. And this was supposed to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just like Liddell, knocking out and putting down the New Orleans Saints who were playing the role of Rampage Jackson at the time, going the narrative going in. And they were supposed to be the NFC, as far as Week 9 is concerned, the leaders, the champions, the kings, the number one of the NFC. And guess what happened? Boop! New Orleans knocked them the fuck out. So, it was just, uh, it was just interesting. According to ESPN, according to ESPN stats and information, no team has ever won a Super Bowl after losing a game by 35 points during the regular season. So now, what did this, where do we go with this? So are we going to all of a sudden now, I'm, I'm speaking about, be able to my, bring the mirror over here, will you? Because I need to look at myself in the mirror when I'm speaking right now, because I was the one who was talking about again, hey, Tampa Bay, complete team, you know, elites of the NFC, blah, 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 going into this game against New Orleans. Now, what am I going to do? Say, oh, now they suck, they're overrated, the moves they made were garbage, Tom Brady's over the hill. Am I going to go from that, from one end of the spectrum to the other? Am I going to take it that way? I don't think so. Yeah, I know, no team has ever won a Super Bowl after losing a game by 35 points during the regular season. Four teams have recovered from a 30-point loss to win a championship. You have to go back to 1976. The Oakland Raiders lost to the New England Patriots by 31 points. No tuck roll needed. 
2003, New England got shut out 31 nothing by Buffalo. First game of the season. Everybody was upset because the uh, Patriots had cut Lawyer Malloy and everybody was pouting. And Drew Brees, I'm sorry, Drew Bledsoe came in. They were at Buffalo and they beat them and the whole team was mad at Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick said, fuck you, I know what I'm doing. Stay calm, stay the course. They wound up winning the Super Bowl that year. In 2005, Baltimore lost to Houston, 43-13, uh, 1994. I remember this, San Francisco lost to Philadelphia at home, 40-8. That was Ray Rhodes' first year with the Philadelphia Eagles when they tried to have Randall Cunningham run the, run the West Coast offense. And that was the time when George Seifert, who had taken over from Bill Walsh, benched Steve Young in the game as San Francisco was getting their ass kicked in the CBS cameras or Fox cameras, whoever was showing the game at the time, was clearly showing Steve Young cursing out uh, uh, George Seifert on the sidelines because he wanted to go in there and was like, you know what, if I'm going to get my ass kicked, I want to get at, I want to get my ass kicked with my team. Don't remove me from the game. Don't remove me from my brothers. Don't remove me from my teammates from this ass whooping. I'm part of this ass whooping. I want to be in there for this ass whooping. Are you going to take me out now? Fuck you. This is bullshit. This, that, and the other. Steve, Steve uh, Young. The cameras caught him going off on Seifert uh, during that game. And San Francisco came back. They beat Dallas. Barry Switzer's first year as coach in the uh, NFC Championship game. And then they uh, beat the shit out of Stan Humphreys and Natron Means and who was the coach? Bobby Ross and the San Diego Chargers in the Super Bowl 40-26. to So, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's happened before. But if you take a look at those losses, Baltimore, New England, Oakland Raiders, San Francisco 49ers, those losses were in September or October. None of those came as late into the season as November when Tampa Bay got their ass handed to them by the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> look, man, I'm not reading too much into this. It was a bad night at the office. I don't think New Orleans could play any better. I don't think Tampa could play any worse. It was just one of them games. Every team who's won a championship has had one of those games where it was just like, you know what? 16-game schedule. Shit like that is going to happen. There's only been two teams in the history of the game that has gone through the entire regular season undefeated. One, the 72 Dolphins where they won the Super Bowl. And then the dynasty-led Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, New England Patriots who lost in the uh, Super Bowl to the uh, New York Giants 17-10. So, or 14-10 or 17-14, one of those two. So, shit happens. It happens. I'm, I'm not betting on Tom. I'm not betting against Tom Brady. I'm quite sure this is a humbling experience. And I don't ever think the leadership of Tom Brady, Tom Brady is too smart. Tom Brady is too great. Tom Brady is too uh, football intelligent to sit there and even going into the state game to stay, to think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had arrived. I don't think this was a wake-up call for Tom Brady and uh, the Buccaneers. Maybe some of those guys, maybe some of those guys were feeling themselves, but Tom Brady's been in this league 20 years, man. He knows that week nine ain't going to be the deal where it's going to be like, yeah, you know, we beat a couple of teams and we're five and two. Woohoo! We are just the shit that can't be shit. I mean, you know, so... I don't, I don't think it was a situation like that. I don't think that this was a, you know, we needed to get our ass kicked to get our, to get our mentals back to where it should be. I don't think it was a situation like that at all. Bad matchup. 
two best teams, or two best, um, the, the, the best team that Tampa Bay has played, New Orleans, they've lost. Game one, the first game of the season, unfair because, as I mentioned before, the, the, the fact that New Orleans had been, their, their core has been with them for years. Tampa Bay was learning, no uh, preseason games or anything like that. And this was just a bad night at the office. Drew Brees is great. Drew Brees is awesome. But you, you think if these, these guys meet again, whether they play in New Orleans or play in Tampa Bay, that you're going to have a repeat of what happened in the NFC Championship game or the NFC Playoff game? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. You take a look at the remaining games, the seven games for Tampa, who's now 6-3. and three. Look, they, got, they play at Carolina. Kristen McCaffrey's not going to be playing. Then they're at home. This is going to be an important stretch where they play at home against the Rams, Kansas City, and Dalvin Cook and the Minnesota Vikings, who have now discovered that, uh, you know what, Kirk Cousins might be the one making all the money, but our best player and the person we need to feed is Dalvin Cook. So you've got those three games at home. Then they're on the road again to uh, play against the Atlanta Falcons on the road against the Detroit Lions, and then they finish at home against the Atlanta Falcons. There's no reason why they can't finish the season 11-5, and 10-6. And, and realistically, if you thought about the 2020 season for Tampa Bay, the fact that they could play 16 games would have, uh, you know, made you want to get up and do the boogaloo and dance for Jesus. But also the fact that 11-5, uh, and 10-6, I'll take that. And if you're speaking about going on the road, it's a lot different because of the pandemic, there's not going to be as many people in the stands in the stadium to watch these team plays during the playoffs. So that edge that the home team might have, if you're speaking about a place like Buffalo, if you're speaking about a place like New Orleans, if you're speaking about a place like uh, New Orleans and Buffalo, um, coming off the top of my head, those are the two things, two names, Pittsburgh, uh, something like that. that. That home field advantage crowd noise, blah, 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 Seattle, thank you very much. That's not going to be there. So it's going to be somewhat more of a neutral field. Even at 43 years old, going on 44. I'll take Tom Brady to be competitive. Drew Brees ain't no joke. Drew Brees ain't no slouch. That's, that was the best defense that the New Orleans Saints have played all season. Are they going to be able to do it again? After a little bit, seven more weeks. Seven more weeks to grow, seven more weeks to learn, seven more weeks to gel, seven more weeks to learn about each other. Tampa, they get back to winning, they get back to getting on a roll, they get back to feeling good about themselves, they get all of their confidence and swag and their mojo back, playing at the NFC Championship game against the Saints. Do you predict it's going to be 38-3? to do you think Tom Brady's going to have one of the worst games of his career? Do you think that Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich are only going to call for running plays? Do you think Tom Brady is going to throw for three interceptions? Do you think that the defense of Tampa is going to be destroyed like it was, embarrassed like it was? I don't think so. I don't think so. So um, what do I take about, what do I take from this game? Long-term the ramifications, the consequences of what happened? Not much. Not much at all. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, 
what does this mean for Timmy Tom? What does it mean for Tampa Tom? What does it mean for Tampa Tom Buccaneer Brady? Stats according to the pro football focus. As far as when you take a look at the season so far for him. It's been good. The good and bad of Tom Brady, 2020. 26 big time throws, 17 red zone touchdowns. According to our pro football focus, that ranks him first and second respectively. Coming into the game against New Orleans. But let's go a little bit deeper. Devil's in the details. Brady's also ranked 20th overall. Completing about 66% of his passes. 13th with a 72.8 QBR through the eight games that he's played. I, I, I've said it before. I think Tom Brady is not going to be that guy unless he just gets smoking hot in the um, playoffs. But I think this is a situation where a 43-year-old Tom Brady is going to need the players around him to elevate. He doesn't, He can only elevate players to a certain level. I think those players are going to have to also elevate Tom Brady. Mike Evans is going to have to get a lot better. Chris Godwin is going to have to get a lot better. O.J. Howard is going to have to get a lot better. That running game is going to have to be more prevalent. Uh, Rob Gronkowski is going to have to keep rounding in the shape. And that defense has got to get back to playing like it was before. The NFL now, you ain't winning games 13-10. You ain't winning games 17-14. You're not going to be doing that. But I think with Tom Brady... At the quarterback, even with the offensive weapons around him, even as him and Antonio Brown continue to get on the same page and all those other weapons that he has, I don't think this is a team in Tampa, even with Tom Brady at the quarterback, where they're going to be averaging 35 to 38 points a game. I don't think in a situation leading into the playoffs that Tom Brady is going to be one of those guys with the responsibility that's going to be placed on players like a Patrick Mahomes or a or a um, Russell Wilson to where he's going to have to go out and throw the ball 45 times, throw for 385 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. I don't think Tom Brady consistently can do that. He can do that against the Jets. He can do that against the Giants. He can do that against the Washington Loser Skins. He can do that against teams of the quality of the Jacksonville Jaguars. But if you're going into the playoffs and you're asking him to do that against either defenses that will, that are above the caliber of the sorry-ass squads that I just mentioned, or going up against quarterbacks and offenses who are going to be able to put points on the board regardless of how good Tampa plays, no matter how good of a defensive coordinator Todd Bowles is. To ask Brady to go four or five games, three games, where he's going to be putting up Russell Wilson-type numbers with Russell Wilson-type responsibilities for the offense and for the team in terms of them winning a football game, I don't think Tom Brady can do that anymore. It's not because he sucks, it's because he's 43 years old. For what he's doing at 43, it's great, it's wonderful. Still playing like a good quarterback. <clears throat> Still playing like a really good quarterback, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm not overreacting, I'm not going crazy, I'm not sitting there talking about, oh, uh, you know, because all of a sudden now, after that game was over, what was it all about? Uh, hey, remember the uh, situation with... Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, huh? Remember back in, uh, I forgot, 2017 where Vince Young was talking about that they had the dream team and the last uh, season where the Cleveland Browns, they got Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. and everybody was sitting there talking about Cleveland, 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 Cleveland. And at the end of the year, it was Cleveland, 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 Cleveland. Well, I'm not doing that with Tampa Bay because the leader of the team that they got, which was Tom Brady, he ain't Baker Mayfield. So... 
Um, and the defense has already been set in place, and it's a good defense. So I suspect at the end of the year, when everything is all said and done, and God willing, we have a playoff season that's going to be starting on time. I think that the, uh, along with the New Orleans Saints, who, yeah, man, let's see, let's see what happens with them, where they go from here. Also, it will be interesting to see how they play. If they, they're not going to be able to keep that level of play, but if they can come close to the consistency to where we can, we, uh, the defense especially, where we can go ahead and talk about those guys being part of the elite. Alvin Kamara on the offensive end, integrating Michael Thomas, getting him up to speed. Emmanuel Sanders being a good number two receiver for those guys. The you know, the offensive line doing well, Drew Brees being Drew Brees. We'll see what happens with that team. But when everything is all said and done, New Orleans is going to be there. Seattle's going to be there. Tampa's going to be there. Green Bay's going to be there. And then we'll see what happens. But to uh, cast aspersions and cast doubts on what Tampa Bay can do even after a blowout, embarrassing loss like that, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off of Old Lone Ranger. And even at 43 years of old, wearing ugly-looking uniforms and playing in Tampa, you don't doubt Tom Brady. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Hello, what's going on? What's happening? You good? You feeling well? You doing all right? You taking care of your kids? You taking care of your husband? You taking care of your wife? You taking care of your girlfriend? You taking care of your mom? You taking care of your family? You doing what you need to do to make this world a better place to be? I hope you're doing that. If you're not, leave me the flip alone. If you're not, hey man, you can know you can have, or hey woman, you can have your uh, views and Whatever, man. But as long as you ain't hurting me, as long as you ain't taking food off my table, as long as you're not hurting the ones that I love, which are very few, then, uh, you know, I guess you can have your thoughts and your views and your values and your definitions of what's right and what's wrong and all those other things. I guess that's probably what the election of this the United States, the electing uh, the election has really brought to the fact that, you know what? Um, unity, harmony, never really as far as we're not, as far as me living my lifetime is not going to happen. So, you know what, man, if you want to, if you want to do your white privilege thing, you want to do your white male dominant thing. If you don't give a fuck that the leader of the free world would be a racist and a bigot and a wannabe dictator and a narcissist and be incompetent and basically end democracy as we know it. You feel that way, you feel that way, man. You know, just leave me the fuck alone and don't hurt me or don't do anything and I won't do the same to you. I ain't going to preach, I ain't going to teach, I ain't going to scream, I ain't going to yell, I ain't going to get emotional. I'm just going to keep living day by day and see what we can do to uh, keep things going in the right direction. So hopefully the young folks in this world can uh, can learn and move this country forward. It was very 
I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the word would be. I don't know what the emotion would be. But I was. I was happy. The fact that um, after news on the weekend got out that Pennsylvania had been called for a Biden, that you saw young folks all across the cities dancing in the streets and doing those type of things. So maybe there's hope. And even a couple of them were wearing masks. So, you know, out there, you know, not staying six feet apart, one step forward, two step two steps back. But you know, we'll take the uh, we'll take the bitter. We'll take the sweet with the bitter, I guess. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Watching a little, as I mentioned before, guy grocery guy grocery guy groceries games. Man, Monique Chaldron, one of the judges on Chopped, and sometimes she cooks. This woman is so flipping gorgeous. I mean, she's gorgeous. And she's cook. She's a restaurateur. She owns restaurants in New York City and Chicago. And man, man, her husband. I'm going to shake your hand and just buy your drink because you are my hero. To be marrying a woman that beautiful. That woman is just, she's beautiful. She's absolutely, there's two females that I see where it's like, I just take a look at them. And it's just like, the only thing that I can say is, man, you're, you're beautiful. I mean, that's just, you just shake your head about, you're just beautiful. One is Maria Taylor of ESPN. You just take a look at that woman. You just take a look, look at her face. And when she smiles, she's beautiful. I mean, she's just beautiful. And Monique Chaldron, even when she's chopping somebody on the show, even when she's being critical in her critique of the, of the food that these awesome chefs had made, even with all that, when she's got the furrowed brow and she's being serious, and she has to do the difficult thing of saying, you've been chopped, get the fuck out of here. Of course, she doesn't say that. She's just beautiful. She's just absolutely beautiful. So, man, for the guy who married Maria Taylor, give it up for that guy. Give that man a round of applause. And for the uh, fellow who married money children and fathered, you know, and the, and the father of her two children, it just, you the man, you the man. You are the man. Along with Cody Rhodes getting his name back so where he can use in wrestling. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So let's go ahead and discuss some other things as we try to get out of here in terms of uh, the NFL. You know, some of the games of the interest. We were speaking about the Sunday night game between the New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And we're speaking about 43-year-old Tom Brady going up against, what, 41-year-old Drew Brees. Also on Sunday, you had the Miami Dolphins going up against the Arizona Cardinals. So opposite ends of the spectrum this Sunday in the NFL. Because in that game, in which Miami had won 34-31, the game featured 22-year-old Tua Tagovailoa versus 23-year-old Kyler uh, Murray at quarterback for their respective teams. Murray went 21 of 26, 283 yards, three touchdowns. He also had 104 yards rushing on 11 carries and a rushing TD. Tua, in only his second NFL start, went 20 of 28 for 248 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. I was wrong about Tua. I was one of those guys who was sitting there talking about, hey, look, man, this guy just came off a pretty devastating injury. You didn't have OTAs. You didn't have training camps. You didn't have real preseason games. If I'm the Miami Dolphins, I do what the Dallas Cowboys, I do what the uh, Cincinnati Bengals did when they had 
when they drafted Carson Palmer number one and they had John Kitna play for the entire year. I do what the Houston then Oilers did with Steve McNair with Chris Chandler and just not play him at all. I do what the Atlanta Falcons did with Michael Vick and not play him at all for his first season for the most part. I do what uh, the Green Bay Packers did with Brett Favre there and uh, Aaron Rodgers waiting in the wings. I'm I'm not rushing to a back. And to play him this season, I, I just wouldn't do it under any circumstances, especially the way Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing. I was wrong. Surprise, surprise. I was wrong. How, how about this? Brian Flores actually knows more about his team and Tua and what's right for his career than I do. Can you imagine that? How the fuck did that happen? But uh, he's been great. His first two starts against the Rams, they won. And he was a bit player. They won because of the defense. They won because of the special teams against the Rams. They won because L.A. had to travel from the West Coast to the East Coast and play a 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. game uh, for their um, uh, body types in terms of you know going in the East Coast and playing the Dolphins. So a lot of things went into that. But what, the 1 o'clock? I don't know. I remember. But they went, they went cross, cross country. But in this game, and look, Arizona ain't the Rams as far as defense is concerned. So we're not talking about the steel curtains he put up those numbers against. But in his second pro start, also rushing for 35 yards, making some really gutsy plays, even though the man better learn how to slide and learn how to slide very quickly. Um, Tua was great. And it's like looking at those two quarterbacks and then looking at some of the quarterbacks, young quarterbacks that the NFL has right now, no wonder they're so arrogant. No wonder they feel that they can do whatever they want to. These guys, when you speak about Tua and you speak about Kyler Murray, those are just the two of a plethora of really young, good, really good, talented quarterbacks, young quarterbacks that's going to keep the NFL the strongest, most popular and influential team sport in North America. I'm sorry, Zion Williamson and Luka Doncic and any of those guys, none of those guys, the impact that they had on the NBA, the global impact that they have on the NBA, the young guy, Giannis and Denacupo, that ain't going to make a fucking dent. That is not going to make a fart in the wind type of sound compared to what the young quarterbacks are going to be doing to keep the strength of the NFL, keep it the number one sport in, uh, in North America, in this country. Because you've got the diversity of these young quarterbacks, their skill sets, the style of play. I don't know if we've ever had a diverse set of quarterbacks playing. This whole notion that you're going to be 6'5", 230 pounds and have a rocket for an arm and all those type of things. The prototype where you have to find yourself the next of the convention quarterback being a a, um, Peyton Manning type or something like that. Man, that's out the window. Now the way the NFL is uh, being played, now the rules, the way the NFL is right now, you don't have to have that type of quarterback to win a Super Bowl, to be elite. You don't even have to be the best quarterback in the game and have those type of uh, features. It would be nice, depending upon you know the type of team that you want to put around them, but there's more ways to win a championship at the quarterback position than being a Peyton Manning clone or being a Tom Brady clone. Or being a Troy Aikman clone. Or being a classic drop-back passer clone. And you can still win with those. But you've got Kyler Murray. You've got Tua. You've got Joe Burrow. You've got Justin Herbert. You've got Josh Allen. You've got Lamar Jackson. You've got Deshaun Watson. You've got Jared Goff. You've got Patrick Mahomes. You can win 
championships. You can win Super Bowls with those types of quarterbacks. Now, Joe Burrow is more of your classic Drew Brees, classic drop-back quarterback type of guy. But you take a look at someone like a Kyler Murray, who blends in athleticism, who blends in, you know, being a really athletic athletic guy without being, with, 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 with using the tools of being a traditional quarterback. Same with Deshaun Watson. And look, time will tell on such guys as Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and Daniel Jones and Drew Locke. And we don't know if the resurrection of Carson Wentz can happen. Or we don't know what type of quarterback Dak Prescott is going to be coming off of this injury. But all of those guys, I think, have the potential to be really, really good quarterbacks. Look, man, for y'all who want to uh, rip and laugh and joke about Sam Darnold, remember who the coach of that team is. And also remember Ryan Tannehill was also a guy who was being coached up by Adam Gase when he was with the Jets. He goes to the Tennessee Titans, and look how well he's playing. Maybe sometimes it's more than just a quarterback to bust. Maybe it also situates into the, into the mix of what type of coach is coaching him. And this is Sam Darnold. This is his third year in the league. This is not a guy after seven or eight years of one guy. We can get a better read on him as a quarterback. Same thing with Baker Mayfield, who's gone through multiple coaches and offensive coordinators. Daniel Jones is only in the second uh, run as the uh, starter for the Giants in the second year. And he's on his second coach. Drew Locke with the uh, Denver Broncos, being tutled, uh, having been uh, under the tutelage of um, John Elway, you know, now in his second year. So I'm not ready to give up on these young, young quarterbacks like that. And then you have on the horizon, you have guys like, you know, Justin Fields. Trevor Lawrence, these guys who are hybrid type quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence has classic drop back, you know, passer type qualities along with, you know, dual threat athleticism. Same thing with Justin Fields. Now, look, there's been over the last three or four or five years, there's been, you know, quarterbacks who have been drafted in the first round who have been bust, underwhelming, underperforming. You take a look at Mitchell Trubisky, Josh Rosen. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Dwayne Haskins. So yeah, there's been some where it hadn't panned out. But man, you just take a look at just the, you got the classic drop back passers like Herbert and Burrow and Goff and Mayfield. You have the uber athletic off, uh, quarterbacks like Lamar and Kyler Murray. And you have a hybrid of both and Deshaun and Drew Locke and Tua and Fields and Wentz and Prescott and Lawrence and then you have someone who we've never seen before as far as talent is concerned at the quarterback position with his arm and Patrick Mahomes who breaks all the molds of with a guy like that a guy who's what 24 25 years old something like that and the way quarterbacks are being protected and the way now we have a situation where you know you have new methods and you have a new dedication for these guys to where you know guess what at the age of 34 35 36 I don't have to say this is near the end of my career. I can still be in my prime. I mean, you have Russell Wilson talking about he wants to play football till he's 45 years old. You have Russell Wilson talking about, you know what, I take two days off in terms of my preparation, in terms of my um, uh, getting ready to play football. I take Thanksgiving and Christmas off. Other than that, I'm doing something to improve myself of, as a football player. 
both in terms of playing the position and mentally and physically keeping myself in shape. A man spends a million dollars a year, he says, in terms of uh, what he needs to do to keep himself uh, playing at a high level. Chefs, massage therapists, trainers, coaches, individual type of deals that keep him going. And the way these the way these uh, um, salaries keep going up, I mean, why can't someone like a Patrick Mahomes play until he's 42 years old? Why can't a Deshaun Watson play until he's like 39 years old? I'm a little worried about um, Lamar Jackson. You know, I kind of consider him sort of like a Russell Westbrook in terms of what type of quarterback is he going to be when his uber athleticism, whether it be age 31, 32 or whatever, What's going to happen as far as Lamar Jackson as a quarterback? What is he going to be when the athleticism starts to wane? Or what's going to be happening, God forbid, if he tears an ACL or he gets a knee injury or something happens like a Dak Prescott where it might affect his uh, unreal athleticism? I don't think we maybe Michael Vick is the only comparable. Maybe go a little bit further you know, back than that. Maybe a Randall Cunningham. But think of like the quarterbacks in this league, in the history of this league, who have been at the same level of athleticism for their game, like Michael, like um, uh, Lamar Jackson, or at least comparing it to the game that they play at their present times. I mean, Randall Cunningham, you know, compared to the uh, compared to the, uh, the the play when he was playing, was the most athletic. Might, might have been one of the most athletic football players ever. And he happened to play the quarterback position. Then the next generation, you have someone like a Michael Vick. And then this generation, you have someone like a Lamar Jackson. But what's going to happen to Lamar, God forbid, if something happens to him which affects his athleticism? Does he have the ability to be more of a Deshaun Watson, more of a that type of quarterback to where he can progress as a pocket passer? We will see, we will see, we will see, we will see. But what I'm saying is that the quarterback position for the NFL is in good hands. In the game between the Arizona Cardinals and the Miami Dolphins was a very, was uh, was great. And you have the Dolphins, man, who are now 5-3, hold, currently hold the number seven playoff spot in the AFC. Arizona is also 5-3. They're the sixth seed. I mean, I don't think those guys are, number one, none of those teams are threats as far as Kansas City is rolling. But just in terms of, uh, you know, exceeding expectations. Oh, good move. Just in terms of exceeding expectations. Hey, man, Miami and Arizona have both been fantastic. Arizona pointed squarely to Kyler Murray. And, you know, now with Tua, and Tua's going to have some bad days. Tua's going to have some days where he's going to stink this, this year. It might be next week against the Chargers. I don't know. But if you listen to Dan Orlovsky and all these guys who actually know how to play the position at the highest level of the NFL, they all rave about him. They all talk about how unbelievable he is. Same thing with Joe Burrow. Same thing with Justin Herbert. And since I've never played quarterback in the NFL, I'm going to listen to a guy who spent over a decade playing it. So if he says that, if Orlovsky and those guys say that uh, Herbert and Burrow and those guys are the real deal, all right. Who, who am I to sit there and tell him that, that he's wrong, right? So there you go. Buffalo over Seattle, 44-34. Speaking about that on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Okay, Seattle has now lost two of their last three games. Started the season 5-0. and 
Seattle gave up the most points, 44, in 11 seasons. This is right after um, <laughs> Pete Carroll got himself a contract extension. The Seahawks celebrated that by going out and allowing Buffalo to score 44 points, the most in 11 seasons, lost by double, digit, double digits for the uh, seventh time since week nine of 2011. Ken Norton, defensive coordinator, Ken Norton, can I uh, see you please and please bring the playbook? No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't, I don't think that uh, Norton's going to get fired. I don't think he deserves to get fired, especially now, end of the season, we can, we've, we can you know, look back on the conversation, but you know, the defense for Seattle, the Legion of Boom, it's bust. That that's the Cam Chancellor and those guys aren't walking through that door. Earl Thomas isn't walking through that door. They're not walking through that door, folks. Sorry to say that Michael Bennett isn't walking through that door. Richard Sherman is not walking through that door. If they are walking through that door, they're not going to be playing defensive they're not going to be playing defense for the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, you were supposed to have Jamal Adams coming back. You're supposed to have, you know, Carlos Dunlap, the trade that they made at the trade deadline, Seattle. They were supposed to make a difference. Not really. Not really. And Josh Allen lit them up like a Christmas tree and this, that, and the other. In Seattle, they blitzed 60% of the time. What did that say about the front four? So they blitzed Josh Allen, quarterback for Buffalo, 60% of the time. He does nothing, to, he does nothing but go 19 or 24 on those situations, throwing for a couple of touchdowns. And when he wasn't pressured, this is according to ESPN stats and information, he was 12 or 14 for 161 yards in the touchdown. So, again, I'm not going to sit here and talk about the sky is falling for Seattle. I put my trust in Pete Carroll, a defensive guy, and I put more of my trust in a Russell Wilson, who despite having the worst game of the season, he's still in the lead for the MVP. No, 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 I don't want to hear anybody else. Shut up. Russell Wilson has more touchdown passes 28th this season than Lamar Jackson, Phillip Rivers, Cam Newton, and Sam Donald combined. So, yeah, I still think as far as week, going into Week 10, Russell Wilson still the leader for the MVP. Didn't play well against Buffalo. Turned the ball over four times. Two interceptions, two lost fumbles. The one fumble he had, blindside blitz. Didn't see the, uh, didn't see the blindside guy hitting him. Um... You know, the one interception he had in the end zone, it was fourth down, trying to make something happen. So it wasn't a bad read. It wasn't a bad throw per se. It was just, you know, something he had to make something happen, and uh, it didn't happen. So, again, Buffalo, 28 of 41, 390 yards, empty calories and stats, Chris Weber type of stats. So, um, you know, look, the Seahawks are still one game ahead of Arizona and the Rams. They play the Rams next week. Let's see what happens. Seattle was also without Shaquille Griffin. Their other quarterback, Quentin Dunbar, he tried to play with a sore knee, but he was ineffective. They just got Dunlap. Jamal Adams had missed multiple weeks because of a groin injury. Group, group, groin, group, group, groin injury. So he's trying to uh, come back from that. So I'm not ready again. Do the, I'm, I'm, let's put it this way. I'm not expecting the Seattle Seahawks all of a sudden to turn into the Pittsburgh Steelers or the Indianapolis Colts on defense for 2020. But I do think that they'll improve enough to where with the offensive weapons that they have on their offensive side of the ball and the way Russell Wilson is playing, they don't need to be dominant to be um, a team that can make it out of the NFC. It would be great, but I think Russell Wilson can put up numbers in that offense 
can put up numbers to where, you know what, if we're going to have to live with the fact that the Seahawks on defense are going to be giving up 24, 28, 31 points a game, we have the offense that can get that done. So we can do that. And one loss separates the NFC, the number one seed, the New Orleans Saints, from the number seven seed, the Los Angeles Rams. You have New Orleans, who had the number one seed, Green Bay, the number two seed, Seattle, number three, the Philadelphia Eagles, because they're the leaders in the NFC East, three, four, and one. They have the number four seed. Tampa Bay's at number five. Arizona's at number six. And the Rams are at number seven. And each one of those you can make a pretty good argument, or at least during the season, you could have made a pretty strong argument that, you know what? Green Bay at one time was the best team in the NFC. Uh, the Rams at one time were the best team in the NFC. Tampa Bay, as early as last week, was the best team in the NFC. The only team that you couldn't make an argument for would be Philadelphia. Seattle, you could have made one. And now, I guess moving into week 10, you could say that, what, New Orleans? Based on what happened against Tampa Bay on the road, I guess you could say now, now they're the best team in the NFC. What are we going to be saying in two to three weeks from now? What are we going to be saying? Who's going to be that team? We know it ain't going to be Philadelphia. But which one of those teams? Green Bay, Seattle, Tampa, Arizona, New Orleans, Los Angeles, Rams. Which one are we going to be talking about? We'll see. We'll see. Best winner of the win for best winner of the season for Buffalo. Josh Allen playing well. Good for them. I think this now puts Buffalo as the best team in the AFC East for those who are hoping and praying that the reign of the New England dynasty, at least in terms of dominating the AFC East, that's over with. Um, but uh, Josh Allen rebounded very nicely, 31-38, 400 yards, no touchdowns. I'm sorry, no interceptions, three passing touchdowns. Did well. And now Buffalo is 7-2. and two. They've won three games in a row. Their only losses were to uh, Tennessee and Kansas City. I give Baltimore the same pass when people are talking about what's wrong with the Ravens? What's wrong with the Ravens? What do you mean what's wrong with the Ravens? The two games that they lost were to Pittsburgh and were to Kansas City. All of a sudden now, that's supposed to be horrible. They lost to both. Uh, they lost to Pittsburgh after not playing their best game. And all of a sudden now, people want to sit there and talk about what's wrong with Baltimore. Nothing's wrong with Baltimore. They lost to two teams who... One is clearly above everybody else in the Kansas City defending champions, and then they lost to Pittsburgh, who's right now undefeated. No shame in that game. So you take a look at Buffalo, same thing. They lost to, at the time, an undefeated Tennessee team and the best team in the league, Kansas City. Don't, don't, don't see where all of a sudden this is just horrible, this is just terrible, this is just the worst. They're 4-2 and two against teams with winning records. They're good. They'll be okay. They'll definitely be okay. Who is this female on AEW that's right now interrupting Cody Rhodes? Uh-oh. Cody lost his, uh, lost the TNT championship to Darby Allen. Good move. I like Darby Allen. I like Darby, Darby Allen. Interested to see exactly what the uh, MGF is going to be, MJF is going to be doing with the uh, with Chris Jericho's group, but I digress. Let's go to, uh, let's go to some news quickly before we get out of here. Let me see here. You know what? Uh, ben Roethlisberger, three of his teammates placed on the COVID-19 list. Uh, placed defensive lineman Jared Hawkins, running back Jalen Samuels, linebacker Vince Fuller on the list. Um, let me see. Da, 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 da. Roethlisberger, he is 
tested he's tested uh, has not tested positive so we'll see we'll see what happens if uh he plays or not but Roethlisberger Samuels Hawkins Williams they'll need five days of negative tests before they can be reinstated from the list the earliest that they can be activated is Saturday or Sunday and that's the day that the Steelers face the Cincinnati Bengals so stay tuned for that now let's go ahead before we get out of here because I've just gone on long enough but you know what it's time for it's time to play the game the sweeping the nation. It's time to inform you guys on the most important things concerning me when it comes to the NFL. When it comes to the NFL moving forward, this is the most important thing. Johnny, play my music. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Welcome to Failing for Fields. Welcome to Tanking for Trevor. It's a favorite game show of the NFL where we rank the worst teams in the NFL week after week with the hopes, with the dreams, with the prayers that the two worst teams in the NFL at the end of the 2020 season will have the ability to draft the saviors, to draft the messiah at quarterback, to save their sorry-ass franchises. I'm speaking about Clemson's quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, and I'm speaking about Ohio State's quarterback, Justin Fields. So, let's take a look at the rankings. Bring them up, Johnny. Bring them up. At the number one seed, holding firm, holding strong after blowing a lead against the New England Patriots, it's your new York Jets staying, un- staying unbeaten at 0-9. Losers at 0-9. Number two, of course, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars sitting at number two with a 1-7 and record. Garvin Minshew not playing football for the Jacksonville Jaguars. The rookie that they had almost had a miraculous comeback. The rookie almost had a miraculous comeback against the... Houston Texans, but not to be. They fell to one and seven. Coming in now at number three, we have the Dallas Cowboys, 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 two and seven. Looking a little bit better with the quarterback change, but yet and still losing to a team in Pittsburgh that looked like they thought they were going to win the game as soon as they stepped onto the field. Took a little bit of time. The Cowboys played well, their best game since losing Dak Prescott, but yet and still fell to the Pittsburgh Steelers, plummeting their record to two and seven, coming in at number four. The other team from New York who plays in New Jersey, it's the New York Giants currently sitting at two and seven. A great, great win for me as they beat the Washington Snyder Skins, as they beat the Washington Loser Skins, as they beat the Washingtons, I can't believe I'm still a fan of their skins, beat the Washington Euro Chump Skins, beating all of those guys. But yet and still, they are still sitting at number four at two and seven. Coming in next at number five, one, two, three, four, five, is the Los Angeles Chargers, two and six, blowing another game, blowing another opportunity to win, blowing another game that they should have won against the uh, Las Vegas uh, Las Vegas Raiders, the backup tight end, dropping a touchdown pass that would, would have given them the game even afterwards when they were talking about the it actually caught the pass. Replay show that no, 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 no. It was incomplete, giving the loss for the 
Los Angeles Chargers. Oh man, do I feel bad for Anthony Lynn. But not worried about that because with Justin Herbert, they don't need a draft pick. They don't need to be drafting Justin Fields. They don't need to be drafting um, Trevor Lawrence. But the next team they sure do, it is my team. It is the Washington Snyder Skins. The Washington football team losing at home to the New York Giants. The only team. Excuse me. The only team in the NFL that can make Daniel Jones look like a competent quarterback. You just send them on down to have them play the Washington loser skins. And that's exactly what they did. Now Washington falls to two and six. Come on, baby. Let's keep on losing. Come on, baby. Let's keep on losing. Come on, baby. Let's keep on failing. We're failing for Fields. We're failing for Lawrence. We're losing for Lawrence. We can do it. We can do it. That terrible on the real, the real terrible injury to, uh, Kyle Allen, Godspeed, and uh, that's just awful. And man, I hope that um, man, I hope that uh, Alex Smith can uh, survive and do some good things. But getting back to the show, the Snyder Skins losing. Up next, we have the Cincinnati Bungle Bengals two five and one, followed by the Atlanta Falcons, a big win at three and six, and also the Detroit Lions rounding out. The top nine at three and five, then followed by the Miami Dolphins with the pick that they have in the Laramie Tunzel trade, giving them the number 10 pick. So if you take a look, it's the New York Jets, number one, the Jacksonville Jaguars, number two, the Dallas Cowboys, number three, the New York Giants, number four, the Los Angeles Chargers, number five, the Washington Snyderskins, Number six, the Cincinnati Bungle Bengals, number seven, the Atlanta Falcons, number eight, the Detroit Lions, number nine, and the Miami Dolphins via the Houston Texans, number 10. Games this weekend, we have the Jets, the Cowboys, the Falcons all have buys. So, games of importance, we have the Washington Lucha Skins versus the Detroit Lions. We have the Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Green Bay Packers. We have the Philadelphia Eagles versus the New York Giants. We have the Los Angeles Chargers at the Miami Dolphins. We have the Houston Texans at the Cleveland Mayfields. We have the Cincinnati Bengals at the maybe Ben Roethlisberger's Pittsburgh Steelers. So, bad teams that don't need a QB. I've said this before. The Cincinnati Bengals, you don't need one. The Los Angeles Chargers, you don't need one. Miami, you don't need one. The teams Washington are going to need to leap. The teams that Washington needs to get to get to that spot where we can get ourselves a quarterback that can save the sorry-ass franchise. We need to beat out the Jets. We need to beat out the Giants. We need to beat out the Cowboys. We need to beat out the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're right there. We're right there for the taking. All we need to do is keep losing. All we need to do is keep losing. For God's sakes, Ron, put Dwayne Haskins back in the game. I don't got a good feeling about Alex Smith starting. I think with him, we can win a few games. I don't want Trey Lance. If I have to settle for Trey Lance, so be it. But I want Fields. I'm failing for Fields. Let Lawrence go to the New York Jets. I don't think we're catching the Jets. We're two games behind the Jets. We ain't, or two and a half games behind the Jets. We ain't catching the Jets, but God damn it, we can sure as hell catch the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're already ahead of the New York Giants. And Cowboys, I don't know. Cowboys, I don't know. Because as much as they love Dak, and much as they, you know, think about Dak being their quarterback next year and this, that, and the other, if those guys have the opportunity to, ju- to uh, draft Justin Fields, guess what? They're drafting Justin Fields and saying, Dak, that's the way it goes, son. 
There's the door. So I don't know if Gabbert can do anything, but man, you've got to play as well as you did against Pittsburgh because all the Cowboys need is to win a couple of games. Let the Cowboys go 5-11. and 11. I think that we could... We could finish the season no less than three and thirteen. I'm speaking about the Washington loser skins. I'm speaking about the Washington embarrassing skins. I'm speaking about the Washington pathetic skins. I'm speaking about the Washington dysfunctional skins. If we can get somewhere within that space, three and thirteen, two and fourteen, we've got fields. We've got fields. And unlike the former quarterback we drafted number one from Ohio State. This one can actually play. And he's being projected that he can play really, really well at the NFL level. He's cleaned up some things going into his last year at Ohio State. And Fields can get it done. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. Keep losing. Keep losing. Keep losing. Keep losing. Come on, y'all. Keep losing. Sing my song. Come on. Come on, Washington. Let's keep on losing. This record, you know, it's got to be abusing. I know. What I was saying really wasn't too abusing. But I don't care. We need that number. We need Fields. We need Lawrence. I will conceive losing Lawrence, but we're still in it for Fields. All right. I'm done. I am done. I am out of here. Time for me to go watch a little AEW. Time for me to watch my man Kenny Omega do his thing. Time for me to uh, watch the Inner Circle put NJF in there and see where that leads to. A lot of good stuff. I want to thank you very much for listening. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep moving forward. Keep being happy. Keep being prosperous. Keep loving each other. Be true to who you are. Be true to your values, your core and everything that you need to do to make this world a better place to be. I'm done. Music. Music.